0: Live from Miami, this is Yitzitomo, building Jerusalem. In 1978, the Lubavitcher Rebbe wrote a memorandum to Jewish healthcare professionals around the world. In it, he talked about the rise of transcendental meditation and other religious movements from the East, and the ways in which uh, young Jews were adopting them in ways that were uh, difficult or perhaps impossible to reconcile with the Jewish faith. The Rebbe called on people who uh, were in positions to do so, people with medical training or meditative training, Um, to work to develop or work to to, um, ascertain uh, pariv forms of meditation, forms of meditation which would achieve the same therapeutic benefits without being religiously problematic for practicing Orthodox Jews. Uh, I have with me here on the show today a couple of people who independently heard that call uh, in their own ways, and about 30 years later, ended up married. It's my pleasure to have on the podcast today uh, Simcha Gottlieb, who's a meditation teacher, film and radio producer, and doctor of Chinese medicine. And Froma Rosenberg Gottlieb, an educator, author, and meditator, who has been cited in Time Magazine and appeared on Oprah. Simcha
1: and Fruma, pleasure to have you both on the show. Pleasure to be here. Thank you so much.
0: Lovely. I uh, I wanted to start with this letter because it's it's coming to both of you at a at different points in your lives. I was wondering if you could um, uh, tell me a bit about where you were when this memorandum came out.
1: This was in early in nineteen seventy-eight. I was living in Los Angeles. I was actually working as a Chabad emissary for Chabad of California, and um, and um, I received a call. From a uh, psychologist, family practitioner, psychologist in Northern California in Palo Alto named Dr. Judah Landis. Um, we had not met before, we had mutual friends. Dr. Landis had, was involved with Chabad in Northern California as well. So a mutual friend had directed him to me because he had received this memorandum from the Rebbe. Basically um, encouraging him, asking him and encouraging him to begin exploring And subsequently promulgating this kind of a a meditation practice, which is not associated with any foreign, alien, Eastern, idolatrous, uh, philosophical uh, underpinnings. uh, And which would be acceptable for Jewish young people, not only young people, but primarily it was a youth movement at that time. Um. Uh, that uh, that they would be able to, as you say, receive uh, the therapeutic benefits, you know, peace of mind and well-being, etc. Reduction of anxiety, sometimes as 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 an anti depression kind of a technique, whatever whatever the various mental health benefits, without having to resort to idolatrous practices. So when Dr. Landis received this letter, he said, "I don't know anything about meditation. Uh, Where do I go?" And a mutual friend, one of the rabbis in northern Northern California, sent him to me because I had been prior to my involvement with Chabad, prior to becoming a, a practicing religious Jew, I had been a teacher of Transcendental Meditation. Um, so uh, we spent four or five days together, and, and, and you know, he, uh, he picked my brain clean. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and, and I assisted him you know, during that period of time, and then subsequently over the course of the next weeks and months, um, in uh, in div- in understanding, devising techniques, in proposing a comprehensive uh, plan, which he subsequently pre- presented to the Rebbe um, to uh, to begin uh, teaching and and facilitating this sort of this sort of practice uh, in a broader uh, method than had ever been done before.
0: And this plan that you worked on with Dr. Landis did, did that end up proceeding?
1: Did anything come of that? Yes and no. Um, there, there was a, there, there were some halting efforts to do so. It certainly was. It never manifested in the full-bodied, uh, comprehensive way that uh, that Dr. Landis had originally presented it to the Rebbe. I, you know, uh, it's probably not so uh, apropos to go into it in very in great depth now as to what the you know as as to how that did did or did not unfold. But in actual fact. Um, there were there there, were, there was some progress made, but it was never fully instituted in a in a in a lasting and uh, and uh, and uh, well established way. Okay, and and from me... I wouldn't say never. By the way, okay. Um, uh, uh, to this day, I think more and more is happening in de- many decades since then. More and more is happening that has actually evolved into. Partially because of the of the nature of the times, and partially because of the the generation that is that has picked up that call, uh, and uh, and it is happening with increasing efficacy today. Okay,
0: and is is uh, Dr. Landis and yourself's publication on this or submission to the Reb on this? Is that um, was that did the Rebbe in the end give it his stamp of approval? Uh,
1: with, the there were some caveats clearly. in the beginning. There was, a, there was you know, of, of, of the various techniques and approaches that Dr. Landers um, uh, proposed to the Rebbe, I remember distinctly that there was one that the Rebbe uh, took issue with. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rest of them were, you know, pretty much okay in the Rebbe's eyes, uh, although in the subsequent, there's an interesting nuance here, in the subsequent um, correspondence between them, Dr. Landers was moving in the direction of, there, of it being of his his among his offerings that there would be a very uh, a, a very distinctly Jewish um, and traditionally Jewish approach to the cultivation of consciousness, Hasidic meditation, deeply Jewish esoteric meditation, Kabbalistic principles, and things like that. And the Rebbe discouraged that. He wanted something that was sort of you know, you could almost say nonsectarian, or you, know, you use the word parv, you, know, mm. ni- you know, neither meat nor milk, you know, and, and not culturally, uh, uh, not culturally, obviously culturally uh, associated with any particular philosophical or cultural or religious approach.
0: All right. Well, it's interesting you use the word, the phrase nonsectarian because um, my own, most of my own meditation um, studies were uh, in S. N. Goenka's uh, Vipassana, camps and he, he loves that word. He loves to call this person a non sectarian, mm-hmm. which um, the rabbis seemed to be pushing for, specifically stuff that wasn't wasn't heavily religiously Jewish. It was more just stuff that yeah. would work on anyone and was therapeutic.
1: Yeah. And Judd Landis, Dr. Landis at that time, kept sort of being drawn to the notion of there being, of it being, you know, in addition to all of this sort of non-sectarian material, he also wanted there to be a Jewish meditation. He himself was delving right. into that a little bit more than he ever had before. And the Rebbe kept saying, whoa, <laughs> hold on, you know, no, this is not for now. You know, not that there isn't merit in that, obviously, mm-hmm. meditation, as you know, I mean, Hasidic meditation is its own world of, uh, of you know, of, of very great in-depth cultivation of consciousness in Kabbalistic terms. But, there, but what they ever wanted to establish what, at that time was not that, specifically not was that. It, was it ever made clear to yourself, or Dr.
0: Landis, why that was the way the Rebbe was going?
1: Excellent question. Um, from a do from
0: you know this? Um, Yes.
2: When, um, when, when my first husband and I were approached about um, working on this project, um, my husband was the director of the Chabad drug
0: program in California. I didn't know there was a Chabad drug program. Yes, yeah, yeah.
2: Wow, so, that's um, fantastic. Where yeah. does one sign up? <laughs> I don't know, I'm too stoned to tell you. <laughs> so um, no this was this was um, in the Chabad house on on Galey Avenue in los angeles and um, and it was a program that was designed for Jewish people who were having issues with addiction, strong enough issues with addiction that they needed to be in an, a residential rehab program right. and um, and evidently, the Rebbe felt that. Meditation would be a uh, balm to their spirits, and um, and and I feel that um, that what what the Rebbe's feeling was or or intention was in general was that um, because this was going to be something that was very specifically therapeutic, he didn't want people to be disenchanted with it because they were not religious. Mm. He wanted to give anybody who was having issues with anxiety, depression, just faintness of heart, the ability to um, hook into something that was helpful, and strengthening, without having to say yes. And by the way, I also am going to start lighting candles on Friday night, or putting on to It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be confused. He
0: wanted people to be able to Absolutely. get medical treatment without needing to buy into anything right. religious. Right. So that, that's very interesting yeah. because it, I I think it's um one of the one of the great uh, seeming paradoxes, but actually not about the rabbi's character. Is this is a dichotomy between Constantly, constantly encouraging people to um, increase their religious practice, mm-hmm. while also being like completely uh, okay with everyone where they were, yeah, and not judgmental of people yeah. where they were,
2: yeah, and and just just as as a, a you know a, a loving leader in the community, he wanted to see Jews being healthy and happy, yeah, and you know and and from that spiritual practices would most likely grow. But the idea with the meditation was not to bring people into a Chabad house and get them more involved with Judaism. Right. It was to give them a therapeutic modality. To
0: uh, Do yeah. you do you remember um, how it was that you came to hear of this memorandum, the same memorandum?
2: So I don't 100% remember whether it came directly from Judd Landis or whether my husband was approached because of the fact that he was running the drug program and it seemed and he was known to be a meditator and a teacher of transcendental meditation, and so um, he seemed like a logical candidate to get right. involved with this. Right. Yeah.
0: And, and was that was that a a, um, a turning point in your career, or was that was that did that come somewhere on a on a tangent that you were already on in some sense?
2: I don't think it was a turning point in my career then. But once I became a Chabad House director in Pittsburgh and was involved in, um, in working with people that were working out their issues and that were anxious and depressed, et cetera, and so forth, I saw how important it was to um, have something like this to, to, to help them, you know, that meditation was going to Give them a new lease on life. You know, even even five minutes a day of understanding, you know, where that still small voice was inside, and and feeling more focused and more uh, powerful as a result of it, or more empowered as a result of it, was going to significantly
0: change people's lives. Right. And 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 you simply uh, same question. Do you feel like at that point, getting that memorandum from? Dr. Landis.
1: Uh, Similarly, not uh, not at that time, but it stuck with me. I mean, I will actually, I would, I would go back to answer your question. I go back several years prior to that in my very first private audience with the Rebbe, just with the Rebbe. I mentioned to him in that in that meeting. that I had had been a teacher of Transcendental Meditation, that I had uh, sort of gone beyond that now in my Jewish practice, and that I felt a certain ability and responsibility to reach out to people who were involved in meditation, Uh, but that I was concerned, I was very candid with the Rebbe, and I said I was a little bit concerned as to whether that was uh, safe for me in a way, because I had been involved in an idolatrous practice. Not that I was into the idolatry per se, but tangentially Mm -hmm. I was exposed to that. and uh, the Rebbe said to me, uh, I'll never forget it. He said, on the basis of the way you are asking the question, I would say that that would be premature. But you should do so and get involved in that when you become more comfortable in your new way of life. That was 1973. I would say, you know, it, first of all, it took Many more years than I would have anticipated at that moment (laughs) to become so comfortable with my new way of life that I felt, um, you know, adept at offering this kind of a thing to the public. And Mm -hmm. over the years, gradually, gradually, not by 1978 when this had started happening, I gradually gained enough command of the of the of the Jewish and Hasidic meditative approach that I felt that I could integrate my experience with meditation. Uh, with Jewish practice in a way that became uh, that became sort of you know seamless and and whole in my life, so that much later on my career Evolved into a space where it was including an emphasis on meditation. I, do, I use it in my medical practice now as a Chinese medical practitioner, right. um, and I have given, you know, I have a couple of uh, videos, talks, presentations that you know that touch upon meditation as well. Some of which are on kapad.org now, and uh, so it has increasingly become a part of what I do. Uh, not that I am a, a professional meditation teacher but I am a, but I teach meditation informally where it's appropriate to whom it's appropriate. And, and the way you teach
0: it is it is it um, more in this in this uh, non-sectarian tradition the Rebbe was calling for or do you put Jewish content into your?
1: In my styles? medical practice, it is more non-sectarian okay? Um, where appropriate, and where there's a where there's that kind of resonance and the, on the part of somebody who you know who's, who's inquiring on that basis, um, then I, uh, I I will sometimes uh, very specifically go into a more Jewish and Hasidic and Kabbalistic approach.
0: And from in your in teaching, do you tend to be non sectarian or do you tend to put Jewish content into your meditation?
2: I tend to put more Jewish content in my meditation. I. And not. It depends who I'm talking to. So I, I am, I'm a life coach, and I work with uh, addic- addiction counseling. In, in that particular area, I, I keep it non sectarian. but I also do a lot of work with um, Jewish women. I, I teach emotional intelligence through Torah. Oh. And... My, my um t- to me, one of the most essential keys to emotional intelligence is cultivating a sense of calm. And meditation is it. I mean, it's it's just a natural. so so in almost any any uh, talk that I give or any workshop series of workshops that I do, I use meditation in the workshops. I teach people a five or ten minute meditation. Sometimes I do guided meditations. And in those guided meditations, I, I always emphasize um, the connection with Hashem and the idea that you know uh, allow Hashem's holy presence, His Shechina, to, to to envelop you as you sit there. And when you open your eyes, keep that you know pure light in front of you and and use it to shine on the decisions you need to make in life, the you know your issues in everyday. So I I do give it I do give it a um, godly aspect fair
0: yeah i'm i'm interested in um just digging in here for a second when you say uh training emotional intelligence yeah requires first a um the cultivation of calm yeah why why is cultivation of calm so essential for emotional intelligence
2: well because emotional intelligence is so much about perception and if you're responders or your transmitters are fuzzy because of the fact that you're um, anxious uptight you know producing too much uh, adrenaline uh, working from your uh, amygdala instead of from your cerebral cortex whatever it is so you're not. You're not going to make the best decisions, and you're not going to make your decisions from your highest self. You're going right. to make it from your habitual self, from your panicked self, from your uptight self. So you know it's not. You're not sowing the seeds for an emotional, an emotionally intelligent life. Okay. That that comes from uh, calm begets calm. So in terms of interacting with other people. It's it's just huge to have a, a calm center and to be able to um, kind of broadcast that to people you're you're dealing with. So so it allows everybody this sense of well, let's stop and chew this before we actually talk about it. Let's let's think first, right. which many of us don't take the time to yeah. do, and and um, and it also takes away the sense of. Um, emergency from mm. whatever situation a person finds themselves in the, the you know the difference between being able to say oh well this is this is i can handle this yeah yeah it's not an emergency
0: it's, it's just what it is it's interesting because like it, it seems that the default way of being in the modern world is is one of of emergency frantic? The red lights are always flashing. frantic.
2: Absolutely, between uh, the amount of interruptions we get from our phones
0: ah, that was one in the background
2: crazy, yeah. right? And, and 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 I mean, you know, everybody talks about how marvelous it is to have email, but I remember when I got five letters a day instead of one hundred and forty five emails a day. It's it's you know, it's frantic.
0: Yeah. I am, um, I'm interested also, I, I, I have so much to get through here, but I just, just want to take a moment when you say you teach emotional intelligence through the Torah, mm-hmm. do you mean like you pit, you find a narrative where someone's acting emo- with emotional intelligence and say, sometimes, so, okay.
2: so, sometimes, sometimes I do that. I just did something on, uh, on Queen Esther and the, and, the, and the, the real story behind the story of Purim um, that, that, is too complex to get into at this moment, but basically the the Megillah is the last of the 24 books of the the Tanakh, of Torah. Mm -hmm. And and it ends by talking about the fact that Mordechai was able to speak to everybody peacefully. Mm -hmm. And in the very first book of the Torah, talking about Mordechai's great, great, great uncle, it says, and his brothers could no longer speak to him peacefully. And so it feels like Okay, here's the resolution. That's all, you know, that's all we needed was to come to a place wow. of peace within the family.
0: That's gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. That's that's, yeah. that's utterly beautiful. Yeah.
1: Centuries later.
0: Centuries yeah. later. Yeah. yeah. I remember um, this is this is something that I um, I think I heard this in in, a, in one of like, Dr. Peterson's talks on the Bible, but this um, this idea that it's remarkable that that Tanakh has a plot yeah. considering that it was written by different people over hundreds nice. of years. Yeah. And it's so different in style. Like, by the time, like, the first stuff is also epic and grand, and by the time you get to Nehemiah, it's just, like, these really gritty courtroom scenes yeah. and, like, discussions yeah. of people weeping over, the, over yeah. like, the personal trials in their life. But it's, it's interesting you bring up specifically the Book of Esther because I feel like that's it's such an exemplary text. Um, it's we're, you know in the month of Ado now. I don't know if we still will be when this when this goes out. But um, the idea that it's the only book without the name of God explicitly written, mm-hmm. and you have to actually dig mm-hmm. to find God's mm-hmm. work. Mm-hmm. And the more you dig, the more it seems like the way God's working is through like the moral virtue and and uh, what interpersonal intuitive sensitivity of the characters. Yeah, that's what I'm digging. Is that is that at all adjacent to
2: your tape? It's, it's very adjacent to my tape. And, and uh, I mean, e- Esther is such an exemplary model of emotional intelligence. They say that when she was in, in the uh, king's harem, because they took the most beautiful girl from every uh, province, 127 kingdoms, put them in this harem for a year and they watched them to make sure that they didn't have any social diseases, to make sure that they were operating properly enough as women that they would be able to be potential mothers to the king's children. Mm -hmm. And and it says that Esther was able to speak to each one in their own language and each one felt like she must come from their country because she really spoke their language. So this idea of, compassion that, that that true royalty was compassion, and getting what other people were about is, you know, one of the big
0: lessons in Miguel Esther. No, you hear that. Yeah, I—I yeah. I, I think like I, this is this is um, peeing at something that's deeply personal for me, uh, but I found that um, it, when I I was I was raised in a religious family and not religious for many many years. Um, and during that, and and I mean the first for the first few of those years, I was a very aggressive, argumentative atheist. Mm-hmm. And then for the next few of those years, I was I, I was more of a religious explorer. Mm-hmm. So I, I uh, would go to, from 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 faith to faith and try re- to really deeply understand, in its own terms. And I got to this point where I could have a, a serious spiritual discussion with anyone of any faith because mm-hmm. I figured out where the sort of benchmarks are in their in their particular map of, of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm sort of in this in this place where I get the the I'm I'm becoming more um, you know conventionally orthodox religious and I get the advantage of having like a single language that you're teaching your your prayers and your studies in um, and I'm I'm not sure how much I, I still get to use foreign terminology when speaking to foreign people in mm-hmm. reference to the same idea. Mm-hmm. Have you two struggled with this? Sure. Well, I, I actually um, in the uh,
2: addiction coaching training I did, yeah. I had um, my I, I, the two people that I worked most, most closely with in the program were a um, Catholic priest who was a sex addict.
0: <laughs>
2: and um, <laughs> And a... am um, sorry. This is in, in a what? A, it was an addiction program. We were all becoming co- addiction coaches. Okay. And 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 um, when he
0: hang on a second, you, this was this was, this is a sitcom or this is real life? This <laughs> is real
2: life, but I'm not I'm not exactly done because the other person that I that I worked with a lot was a, um, a former Playboy centerfold who had um, three daughters who were heroin addicts, and they made a virtual Show about them called the Bling Ring. Oy. I'm sorry to hear that.
0: Yeah, so. But also, like, the more I hear, the more sitcomy it sounds. I I
1: know. I but, think it I'm should sorry. be said that he was a recovering sex addict.
0: Yeah, well, uh, recovering. <laughs> recovering enough that they they thought, hey, what a good, what a good idea but to put him in the same room as his yeah. former Playboy yeah,
2: model and yeah. see he what. Was safe, yeah. But Jeez. but 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 he and I always used to have to. Um, play out skits in, in the large group workshops yeah. and they always called us Joseph and Mary
0: oh.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and I of course brought in my Jewish theology you know and, and he just ate it up because right. he knew it he knew it. He, knew not, he knew it maybe in Latin rather than in Hebrew but he exactly right. knew what I was talking about sure. and it was
0: great Hey Simcha, you also, as soon as I asked the question, you said, "Sure, I like can struggle with the same stuff."
1: Sure, I've 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 always been um, uh, fascinated with, interested in, and and striving to become more and more adept at at, uh, at conveying uh, deep and esoteric uh, Jewish ideas, yeah. mystical ideas, spiritual ideas, in uh, terms and in a frame of reference uh, that it will speak to. And, uh, and resonate with people who are not familiar with those terms, who are not coming from the same frame of reference. They may be uh, engaged in some sort of Asian spirituality. They may not be engaged in any particular form of spirituality, but I translate it to the best of my ability in terms that address their particular needs. Uh, in my medical practice, you know, um, you know m- many people come to me, most people come to me for some sort of a physical or or mood disorder or something like that, which has, you know, f- which to them initially has no, and, and in, the, in the in the context of our conversations, has no particular um, spiritual or mystical uh, dimension or significance. But I take the ideas and the perspective that I have gained hmm. in my own studies and strive to translate it in terms that are meaningful, meaningful to them in terms of their own physical and psychological reality. Um, same is true for uh, for the way in which I convey the principles of Chinese medicine. You know, a stu- I've been a student of Chinese medicine really even since those days in the 70s and, or, that we were talking about before. Uh, th- then it was informal uh, at a certain point in my life and, I, and my career. I went back to graduate school. I was pushing 50 at the time. Uh, oh. And I spent four years of graduate school becoming uh, a, a professional. Uh, credentialed practitioner of Chinese medicine, I've been doing that now for you know nearly 20 years, and uh, and I see uh, a great deal of uh, of common, not necessarily common language, but common perspective, and and, and uh, between some of the philosophical principles of Chinese medicine and uh, the principles of, of Hasidic philosophy, um, and I articulate that. Mm-hmm. Sometimes to students of Chinese medicine, sometimes to my patients in my Chinese medical practice, sometimes to rabbis and students of Hasidus, you know, who can, who will understand and benefit from the parallels. You know, I had one rabbi in L.A. I was there. This goes back 10, 11 years. Uh, we were speaking one night and he said, tell me what is the, you know, what's yin and yang in Hasidus? Yin you know, oh. and Yang, of course, is the, you know, one of the fundamental principles of Asian philosophy. Can I, can
0: I have a shot at this before you give me a Please any... do. I, I imagine that, that, that Yin and Yang and Hasidic philosophy is um, it would be HaKadosh Baruch Hu and the Shekhinah in exile.
1: That's definitely one of them. Okay. You know, there are many dimensions of that. How did, how,
0: how did that you parallel. answer the question?
1: How I answered that at the time, and this is a, perhaps a bit esoteric, but uh, but uh, I said it's uh, the idea of rotzo for sure. For sure. Uh, Ratzo is the is the impulse of the soul to detach itself from this material world and ascend to to unification with the Godhead. You know, to to return to the spiritual source from whence it came before it was invested in a body and in this material world. Shuv is the is the is the subsequent. Uh, realization that the soul was sent down here for a purpose and I have a sense of responsibility to return and and inhabit my body and inhabit the material world and accomplish something here so that uh, so that I resist the impulse to merge into a, 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 the vast infinite, uh, recesses of spirituality and come down here and live in a, in, a, in a relative world, in a physical world, in a material world, and get something done, that, which needs to be done. And right. slow
2: down at a yellow light, right?
0: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, um, I hear the, uh, the Rotsvishov um, idea those listening and who may be unfamiliar, it's, it's based off the um, the vision in the Book of Prophets of the angels running and returning, yes. which a, a lot is said about in the Hasidic work. Right. But um, just how how does that map onto yin and yang for you?
1: Well, so um, uh, yin, the yin impulse is uh, is a uh, is is a, a recognition of the of the uh, of the, the the nature of, of the primal nature of substantiated reality. You know, I'm here in this world, uh, in a world of, of flesh and blood and bone, and, uh, and and actual events. You know, which is uh, which is uh, which is a um, uh, which requires my presence. It requires my uh, my engagement. You know, young. The young impulse is an upward vector of uh, of uh, of uh, uh, detachment from the physical world and returning to spiritual source.
0: Lahav, um, is this is this kind of how? Um how uh, what what in Hindu in, like in I guess in some Hindu thought is is
1: thought of as the Shiva and Shakti dualism. It's a, there's a there is Duality. a parallel, there is a parallel there. Okay. I mean in general I'm reluctant to draw um, specific parallels between concepts which come from different cultures, which are based in different spiritual perspectives and spoken in a different language because there are always nuanced yeah. differences, sometimes more than nuanced differences. Sometimes there are fundamental differences. You know, it may seem to be parallel, but when you dig deeper and deeper and deeper, you come to an impasse where where you really realize that they are they are profoundly different, but they appear to be the same. And the same is true between Yin and Yang and Russell Bershov and all right. these kinds of things. You do, know. do you have an example of
0: that that springs to mind? of spiritual concepts seem parallel, but then you dig
1: and you're like, ah. I'd have to think about that a bit. Um, I would say, you know, well, let's put it this way. Let's, let's speak about yin and yang specifically. You know, um, the, the 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 entire manifest universe is seen from a from an Asian perspective. Whether we're talking about Taoism or Chinese medical uh, philosophy, which are very closely related, and in some sense is Buddhist philosophy as well. You know, it's seen as a manifestation of, of yin and yang, of that of that you know day and night, hot and warm and cold, hot and cold, expansion and and contraction, you know, mm. and and centrifugal and centrifugal force. Uh, that is very much um, uh, uh, defined by that binary dynamic. Okay. Whereas in Hasidic philosophy, although there is a tremendous uh, parallel to that binary dynamic in terms of spirit, you know, spirit and, 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 and flesh in terms of upward movement and downward movement, uh, expansive, uh, uh, elevations of consciousness versus the sort of contracted focus necessity to be here now and be present in those singular mitzvah that you're that, that you know that you're that you're involved in at this moment with a singular relationship that you're involved in the eye contact with you know with your partner in life or whatever the case may be which is very focused and very contracted but by the same token, there is in Jewish philosophy, in 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 Torah, uh, 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 foundational Torah wisdom, and in and in the depths of Kabbalistic and Hasidic philosophy, in particular, there is a sense of an underlying essence which is godly, which is not. Limited to the polarities of the finite world right. that, it, that is embedded within and harmonizes and, in fact, obliterates the distinctions between higher and lower, between spiritual and physical. You know, we often say, for example, that, you know, God is not spiritual. To say that God is spiritual would be to limit Him, because he, as just as He is spiritual, He is also physical and material. Mm-hmm. You know, God is in the material world in the same essential way as He is in the ab- abstract, right. you know, uh, 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 refined, sublime spiritual realms as well. So that essence pervades everything, and it is beyond yin and yang. It is freed from the. Polarities of yin and yang, whereas very often, you know, in Chinese medicine and, and even even in Taoism to some extent, there tends to be a, a kind of a, a kind of a, um, a, a, a rootedness in the polarity, and, and Judaism takes takes one beyond. Sure. That. Well, it's interesting you,
0: you you bring up that particular example. Um, I remember when I was um, I was studying some of the Taoist kung fu styles. Um, I read I read the Tao Te Ching and I read the Tai Chi classics which are sort of um, part spiritual treatise part fighting manual mm-hmm. and um, <clears throat> there's this line let see if I can remember it um, so there's the phrase Tai Chi um, I think it, it means supreme ultimate mm-hmm. but it refers to that fundamental like extension of polarity it's um that all the time in fighting, you should be mindful of where's the yin, where's the yang, and what does it mean to, to take those two things to their extremes. Um, so that's Tai Chi. So that's the, and then they have this other phrase in there called the wuji, which is, um, I think it means formless void. Mm-hmm. And the line is, um, Tai Chi comes from wuji and is the mother of yin and yang. Mm-hmm. In, um, in movement, they separate and become yin and yang,
1: and in stillness, they fuse and return to wuji. So now that you've expressed it in that way, I will say to drill down further into the fundamental distinction between that Taoist and Asian perspective and a and, and a very specific Jewish perspective is that is that in Judaism, in Hasidic philosophy, in Kabbalistic uh, perspective, um, that that unformed, void, non-polarized essence Mm. is conscious and intentional. It's God. God desires to have a dwelling place in this this lower realm. God wants us to accomplish something, not because he needs it. He doesn't need anything. What do you give to the man who has everything? You can't give him anything. You can give him the... The nachas, so to speak, (laughs) you know, that, you know, that knowing that he has spoken and we have and we have responded in kind and we have listened to him and 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 uh, and fulfilled his his intention. There is an intentional godly presence in the world, whereas from the Asian perspective, it tends to be sort of cyclical and aloof Mm. and detached.
0: Well, I see. I I wonder about this because I I feel like in in. in the path, it certainly seems to be that way. So one of the things that I um, that I notice is like a lot of the uh, that both both in in our, our own Jewish tradition and the Habad in the Eastern traditions, you um you get this uh this, this this central focus on on not getting not getting caught on things that aren't that aren't the thing, right? Mm-hmm. And so you have like this disentanglement, detachment, disentanglement, right? So the, I mean, the way the Baal HaTanya phrases it, it is, um, I think he, he takes the phrase Elohim Achirim, other gods, and he's mm-hmm. like, what that means is getting hooked on anything but God. Mm-hmm. You get lost in something, and that and that's it's it's idolatry in some sense because it's forgetting the oneness. But and then like you go to the east, and it's like A lot more familiar people talk about the. Um, uh, non-attachment as the as the high virtue. So you'll, you'll sit there and you'll watch and something will show up and you'll notice your attachment to whatever and you'll learn to gently release that. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me like this is based, I would guess, like mainly off narratives of the Buddha that, that I heard from S. N. Goenka, um, that what happens, like that process is, is, the practical process of learning to let go of everything that isn't it, mm-hmm. Um well, I'm trying to remember the phrase he, he says, like, it seems that the Buddha hits enlightenment and I'm trying I, I don't know if I can remember the phrase, but something like all his life from then on is like utterly devoted towards the service of others. And he's energized by that. Right. Mm-hmm. And like his description in this form is something, I can, I can love. it reminds me very much of a young Chabad emissary.
1: And getting out there and, and service and devotion, yeah. right, right? But, but I, I think, think the
2: difference is a difference of in uh, approach. I think right. that uh, in with the young Chabad emissary, it's going from the outside in. First, first is the doing. Do it, do it, do it, do it, do it, because you know it's the right thing to do it to do. Right, and then by doing it and doing it and doing it, you become it rather than becoming it, and as a result of that, going out and doing it. Right. Not so,
1: waiting for enlightenment.
0: Right. <laughs> right. Well, I, I right. see a great advantage um, if you can start your shlichus as a, as a non-enlightened 20-year-old. Yeah. You get a lot more done. Absolutely. Exactly. You
1: have the energy. <laughs> <laughs> right. It, it, this whole conversation calls to mind something that that, that uh, we heard from Allen Ginsberg, the great... Oh. Oh. The great poet of the, <laughs> of the beat generation. We, um, we, uh, we inter- I didn't do the interview. Another friend of ours did the interview. We interviewed him for a magazine that we were working on back in the day. And this is also goes back to the seventies. I was associated with a, with a group that, that, that published a magazine called Six Thirteen Magazine. Oh my God! And we interviewed <laughs> we interviewed Allen Ginsberg. I I wasn't present at the interview, but I edited the material that you know that was that was subsequently published. Um, and one of the things he said to our interviewer it was Hinda, um, a friend of ours who's still a friend of ours now. Um, he said Judaism has. He said, no, he said Buddhism has everything that Judaism has, except God. <laughs> Stunned silence. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm I'm
0: turning it over. I'm yeah. turning it over.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. I, I um, well, far be it for me to disagree with the, the, the
1: with the great Alan Ginsberg. Alan
0: Gisberg himself. Right. But but was he saying that by virtue of um, like was he was he making a I, I don't know, I guess, a value judgment one way or the other? Was he just, like, observing differences in, in cultural approach?
1: I can't speak for uh, the good poet. Um, good poet. But, uh, you know, so I don't exactly know what was in his heart of hearts sure. in saying that. I can tell you that the way I interpreted it, or interpret it now, is kind of along the lines of what we're saying, is that there are many parallels, there are many ways in which you can you can understand the... The, uh, the, uh, the 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 similarities and even the uh, even identical features in the philosophical underpinnings and even in some of the behavioral applications sure. thereof, um, but Buddhism uh, derives from a detachment from the world uh, to the extent that the 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 the, the, the void. Uh, empowers and enables compassion. Mm. Whereas whereas Judaism does that as well, except that the void is only a, a a temporary way station along the path to communion with a conscious, intentional God. Right. right. Who who demands and commands and embodies compassion in us. He embodies his, his, the divine compassion is embodied in us, but it is the divine
0: compassion. Right. Interesting. I, I um, I, I find this, yes, for now, I'm <laughs> just
2: thinking of Alice in Wonderland and the Cheshire Cat, when, when, when Alice goes to the cat and asks for directions, and uh, can you tell me which way to go? And the cat says, well, where do you want to go? And she said, Well. I don't really care very much," he says. So then, it doesn't really matter. You can go any way you want. I feel like that, in a certain sense, is the direction of of a um, philosophy that's based on finding and celebrating the void, mm. the Tao. I don't know what it's going it's to be. Celebrating
0: the void. Right.
2: Wow. Right. The lack thereof. Yeah. And 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 that. Um, and that that Judaism is Judaism is almost like um, stuffing yourself with knowledge and will that comes from a higher power that has very very specific expectations. It's almost like they're almost like polar
0: opposites in my mind. Well, it it seems to me like there's a, like I, I mean I'm I'm still obviously working with this stuff and, and you've been working with it a lot longer than I have. So I'm I'm. Uh,
1: we're still working with it. Too. yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> what is it? What is it? How how long does how long does it take the Buddha by tradition, like forty thousand kappas or something? Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm still polishing polishing the granite yeah. the, the right. granite yeah. mountain with my silk scarf once yeah. a year. <laughs> uh, but it's it's um, it seems like it, like we're getting at a, at a bunch of at a bunch of um, similar things. But one of the things is like there's a it's a personal versus non personal relationship. Mm-hmm. Like there is. Right. So I think there's an identification. And like this, this to me, it, it's, um, it, again, the Altareba writes in <laughs> Sha'a Yechid ve'amunah, he goes on a great length about the assertion um, that uh, the Lord is God. Right? He's like, what, is, mm-hmm. what does this mean? Mm-hmm. What are you supposed to get from this? Mm-hmm. But he's like, well, part of it is, it, and and I, I'm i not going to pretend that I understood Sha'a Yechid Um, but I, part of what I'm getting from it is like there's this, direct personal covenantal like take you out of egypt type of god who's who's like the the tribal god of the israelites right and has a has a personal relationship with this this family and also like with the individuals in the family and then you have like the vast impersonal force of nature which you know the baltanian mm-hmm. points out elohim mm-hmm. has the same gematria as hateva mm-hmm. numerical yeah. correspondence, right. the nature, nature and god and, and actually, the fundamental theological claim of Judaism is that those two are the same. So we have, I mean, to move into the yin-yang model, you have this sort of, maybe this is the coin the, the at the heart of Judaism, that you have God as sort of, um, if, you take, if you take the sum of all things as the yin, then God is the yang, yang in that relationship. And then you can narrow it down to the individual and God, God is the yang that yin but also God is the entire field in which the game takes place.
1: You can characterize it in terms of the first three words of the, uh, of the, of the Decalogue, of the Ten Commandments, you know, it says, Anochi Hashem Elokecha. I am the Lord, your God. So Elokecha is the God of nature, the God who is, in, who is in, invested in, embedded in, and identical with the natural phenomena of this world. Hmm. The tetragrammaton, I am the Lord, I am Hashem, The second word, Elohim is the third word, the second word is the transcendent God who is beyond the natural world, is the miraculous dimension and embodies that divine mercy, divine compassion. But the first word is Anuchi, I. I am. And that's the personal, conscious, intentional presence of God, which is beyond that polarity between supernatural and natural, Mm -hmm. between sublime and material, between between miraculous and natural phenomena. It is just I. It is just, it is identity. It is the identity of godliness, not even godliness, because godliness is already a, is already a quality that emerges out of God, mm. or that is, said that is a feature of God. It's not a feature of God, it is just the identity of the essence of God. I, I am. Anokhi. Anokhi. So that,
0: I, I think that's what's, that's what's in some sense, Again, like this is just digging into, into the heart of the distinction here. Um, there's a story I think the Buddha would tell where he says um, uh, people would ask him big big highfalutin theological or philosophical questions and he'd say, when a man, um, when, a, when a physician comes upon a man who's been injured by an arrow, he does not first ask, where did the arrow come, from which direction, who was the fletcher? Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he treats the man. Mm-hmm. He says, I come as a physician. I'm, I'm not here to concern myself with those questions. I'm here to, to treat the people. And the treatment is meditation. Um, and I think like there's a, there's a, it's sort of starting from the other direction. It's like there's a question of narrative here, right? There's a question of someone's, like people are in pain. And there's a, there's a response of why? And the Buddha's like, I'm very deliberately setting that question aside and dealing with the how do we make things better? Whereas, like, in the Jewish tradition, the why never goes away. The why is everything, and, like, everything is embedded in this fundamental theological narrative. Like, the whole book of Job is, like, one guy going, ah, with the math over and over again in some sense. You
2: know, partially- I, keep, I'm sorry. I, I keep thinking of the story of, uh, of uh, it's, a, it's a, a, a metaphor of Rosh Hashanah, and it's talking um, about the idea that uh, this this person knows that they are about to be judged by a, a, a very exacting tribunal about everything that they've done during the past year, and, and, and uh, they're feeling great. And somebody says, <clears throat> you're, you're going to be judged for everything you did all year. Are you not panic-stricken? I mean, what do you think the judge is going to say? And their response is, "Now I'm okay. The judge is my father. Hmm. So you know, I think that avinu Malkenu aspect in 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 Judaism, uh, this is like personal beyond personal. This is this is uh, intimate, intimate, and and unconditional, and 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 yeah, intimate and extremely extremely connected. And um, I don't feel that. Um, that I had that experience when I
0: was studying Buddhism. Right. The, the Tao or Dhamma doesn't seem to care yeah. about the individual yeah. in the same personal yeah. way. Yeah. That's interesting.
2: Yeah, it's about the Tao. It wasn't for, for,
0: about me. For those yeah. at home who, are, uh, who might not have the translation, Avinu Malkeinu are the, the first words of, I think, the Yom Kippur liturgy, also the Rosh Hashanah liturgy. Oh. Yeah. And there are, the, there, are, there are, it's a motif repeated often right. throughout our the prayers. Father, our King. Avinu our Father, Malkeinu our King. Exactly. And so the way we're addressing God as he sits in judgment above yeah. us is, our yeah. Father, our King.
1: Yeah. And we, in turn, have two aspects of our own relationship to him. You know, We are seen as both a servant and a son. Hmm. And there are aspects of our inner work where we uh, strive to be a faithful servant, as though he were not our father, hmm. and yet, by the same token, another facet of that is a recognition that we are a son and we are devoted to him as as, as a son is to a father. And uh, those are those are two different aspects of 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 the work that we need to do on ourselves that we you know as we mature, as we evolve.
0: Could I, could I ask about that? Because I think so much of the um the, what, the machinery of halacha seems to function very well in the, in the servant mode. Can you give me an example of, of a time when it is uh, more apt for a Jew to, to be filling the shoes of sun?
1: More in prayer than in, than in the performance of mitzvahs, but even in the performance of mitzvahs, you know, it's like there's a, there's a difference between if, 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 I, if I'm doing something which I know is going to please the, the, the person to whom I'm responsible, Mm. I'm going to have a very different quality of experience if 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 that person is my boss, mm. you know, as opposed to that person is my father, you know. The you know the intimacy, the 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 the, the cherishing, the unconditional love. My boss may or may not um, respond uh, favorably, depending upon the 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 quality of my performance. Right. You know. Whereas my father is going to love me no matter what and so therefore it doesn't make me any less responsible for my performance but i but 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 there's a, a, a sense of confidence a sense of overarching unconditional love which doesn't exist in the servant to master relationship mm-hmm. which does exist in the, in the in the son to father relationship
0: when you are describing like that with the with this idea of confidence it does seem like um, uh, there one of the gaps here is, is this um, gap between results-based outcomes and and performance-based outcome. Like mm-hmm. you can go into the work with the confidence that if you do the work with all you got, you're going to be fine, even if
1: the results don't come out the way you intend them. Yeah, what comes to mind is one of the one of the aphorisms of the ethics of the fathers, where right? it says there it says that, the, the work is not yours to complete. Mm-hmm. You're not necessarily responsible for getting it all done. But by the same token, you're not exempt from this, from from, from the ongoing and consistent obligation to do the best you can.
2: Right. So this is this is where I think that meditation enlivens and enriches uh, Torah practice when somebody goes through the motions so to speak they know that they're expected to pray or they know they're expected to put on to fillin or they know that they have to have everything set and proper before the shabbos comes because there are things that they can't do once it's already shabbos and they're going kind of like robot robotically about whatever it is that they need to mm-hmm. do so that their faithful servants um that that's that's in my mind not a rich Torah practice. A rich Torah practice comes from waking up in the morning and the first thing you think is, is if, you know, if there's a prayer that we say, um, "Thank you, God, for restoring your soul, my soul. Great is your faithfulness in me. You're so faithful to me that that you know I'm going to have a great day." And and when we start the day with that kind of um, passion and love and connectivity, so it enlivens, you know, everything that we do during the day. And, and, it, and, it, and we act from, from love in doing the same, uh, putting on the tefillin or getting, or, or, or making Shabbos on time or whatever it is. We're doing it now from a sen- sense of passion, a sense of love. And, you know, I, 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 sometimes think if I had the choice of somebody said, you know, there's, there's two guys who really want to marry you. One of them will, will do everything that they're expected to do and they'll do it, you know, properly. They'll do it systematically. They won't let you down. It'll all get done.
1: Competently.
2: Exactly. A good boy, a good boy. The other one, will be passionate about you. They'll adore you. they you know, the, that, who would you, who would I go for? I mean, who did I go for? So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're
0: we're going right. to not answer that question, okay. on Wait so, a minute. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, so, so I, so I, th- I mean, I think that the meditation, um, ignites the passion.
0: Right, right. The meditation. So it's interesting when you say ignites the passion. Yeah. Because so much, like, my training was in in the, um, I guess, in a sense, the most minimalist form of meditation, mm-hmm. at least that I've encountered, mm-hmm. right? Vipassana, like, a big thing they stress is we're not bringing something else into your mind for you to focus on. You mm-hmm. have your breath already. You mm-hmm. have your bodily sensations already. Work mm-hmm. with those. That's it. Mm-hmm. And what you do when, when you start focusing on paying attention to Sensations, rather than to to the endless stream of thoughts that floods your mind, is that stuff can sort of get cleared off the table, right? And then you have space again, right? And so when you have space, then the stuff that's really important to you can flourish.
2: Precisely. So when 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 you can um, when you can be a a vessel for the magnificence of the world that you live in because you're not so full of yourself Mm. and not so full of your anxieties and your fears for tomorrow and your remorse from yesterday. And you can just really, really be here in the now. You can see how absolutely magnificent the world is in glorious technicolor, you know, and it's like, wow, I want to be a part of this and I love it and I want to do everything that's necessary to, to make it really zip with enthusiasm and that, that enthusiasm and that joy is, I think what, what, you know, motivates us to be really in flow. Right. And, and, uh, that, that's where, you know, when, when I'm teaching meditation, that's, that's where I go with it. I want, I, 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 um, it's, it's used now a lot in, in positive psychology, Harvard, my, you know, my, our our friends actually who endorsed our book, Sean Aker and Tal Ben-Shahar, they're, they're they're big into the idea of of meditating for at least five minutes a day. Why? Because it it um, it expands a person's happiness and, and when a person is happier they're more effective and they're more enthusiastic and they're more motivated, etc. and so forth. So that's that's you know that's my my connection at this point to meditation is getting that you know, getting to that happiness place.
0: Fair, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, while you brought it up, uh, let's talk about your new book, "Awesome Aging." Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is something you've the two of you have written together. We wrote it together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, um, I managed to get a flip through it before yeah. um, before we started on on um, recording. But something I noticed is that I like, get really. Uh, this is such a strange thing to say, but it really seems to. To ooze a sense of relaxation, but also like zest—like mm-hmm. things are great and wonderful. You will get it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I just got that vibe from just flipping through and reading mm-hmm. individual <laughs> paragraphs and quotes. Was was there was there something in particular that called you to read to write this book? Was it one of your ideas, and the other came on, or
1: it was? Um, and there's a lot of ways to answer that question, but uh, but uh, what comes to mind is that. Actually, our original thought, when we decided to write a book together that would somehow encapsulate, you know, our, uh, our uh, accumulated wisdom, you know, over the, over the decades of our, of our lives, uh, uh, not necessarily with any finality, because there's always more to learn and more to say, uh, but at least, at least up to this point, we, we wanted to write, uh, we, we considered a title that was called Holy, Holy, Holy. W h o l l y. Oh,
0: very good! Another Ginsberg reference. There
1: you go. Um, right, um, and uh, 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 and we decided that uh, we consulted with a few people, and we had a we had a, a writing coach, actually a publishing coach, um, and um, and. Uh, um, one of the things that we determined would, 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 would assist us both in the writing and and subsequently in the publishing and hopefully marketing of the book um, was to to specify a more narrow niche target audience because when you try to speak to everybody you speak to nobody right you know so the holiness the wholeness of our approach the the expansive overarching you know non-stop uh, 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 and, and, and not particularly well-defined nature of the idea of wholeness, mm. uh, we had something very specific in mind in that regard, uh, led us to rec- reconsider and, and decide that we, were, we would best speak to a m- more specific uh, uh, target audience. And that target audience is our cohort, The baby boomer generation, you know, are the people that we grew up with who have a shared uh, 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 experiences and, you know, went through the 60s and the 70s and, you know, and and the or even the 50s for that matter. Some Mm -hmm. of us, you know, the baby boomers, you know, there is a there is a tremendous, tremendous shared ground among us. and uh, so we wanted to address something that would be specifically targeted to the 50-plus crowd, let's say, the 55-plus crowd. You know. um, so we, uh, so it evolved into Awesome Asia. You know. Nonetheless, one of the under, uh, ri- underlying themes that is really threaded throughout the book is the idea of whatever we do, we want to do it with a sense of wholeness, you know, of, of, uh, of um, integrity in the sense of... In the sense of uh, no one aspect of our lives is, is isolated from any other aspect of our lives. And when we're when, in the same sense that Fern was talking about meditation, that, that even our mundane actions from day to day are rooted in a, in, in a, in a sense of deep spiritual calm and focus and contextual integration. Right. You know, when I say integrity, you know, I mean in you know, I mean in the sense that that, that our thoughts and our feelings are integrated with our actions and our and our responses to the, you know to to material uh, uh, phenomena. Sure. As well. You uh, know So uh, the wholeness is there. And for me, you and I, I, was, the, you know, sure?
2: I, you know, for me, I felt that it was uh, a personal mission that that we live in a world that's ageist, and that uh, generally. Um, Generally, beautiful millennials like yourself have this sense that you know you're faster on the computer and 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 you're better with an Android. So therefore, you know you must have an edge on right. on on mommy and dad, mm-hmm. and and um and it's reflected in the world of business. It's reflected, you know, in 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 many places. But the the reality is that you know although um, perhaps a younger person can. Um, can process more bits of information more quickly, an older person has the ability to see the whole picture mm. m- m- you know more accurately and and uh, and I feel that there's there was that many, many people once they hit retirement um, identified themselves as who they used to be instead of realizing that they have another third of their lives you know that that are really a time of the greatest potential because they're not so involved in, in carpools and changing diapers and proving themselves to a boss someplace. They can deal with, the, you know, in, interact with the people that they want to interact with. Most people have, you know, somewhat of a, of a cushion to fall back on so that they have more spare time to be, you know, really getting into the things that, that, um, that could be most satisfying in life and that, and that they don't because, because they think there has been.
1: We very pointedly and specifically uh, discourage in the book uh, this idea of retirement.
2: Yeah. You know, we Absolutely. prefer
1: to swap it out for renewal, redefinition, reinvention, recommitment. You know, retirement yeah. is like, you know, what? what it's over? You know? Yeah, throwing
0: <laughs> your hat and sit down. Yeah, yeah. right, exactly. yeah. 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 Exactly. Running out the clock. Right, yeah. 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 So, that's. I mean, it, it seems to be, um, I, I, I remember, like, it took me so long just just on a personal level before I realized that the wisdom of, of the elderly is like a real phenomenon mm-hmm. because you know you mm-hmm. you grow up especially in a world that's changing as quickly as mm-hmm. it is and I mean there are things my younger brother can do with technology that I already sure. can't like Absolutely. it just it just com- it comes and goes right. so quickly right. Right. um but you you it's very easy to get lost in the technocracy of that and right. to get lost in that sense right. of well right. if if um if If Grandma doesn't know how to open an internet browser without destroying her computer with viruses, clearly right. there's nothing her to tell me on the subject of love or in the subject of,
2: exactly you know. exactly and, well, and 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 and, and uh, yeah, I mean it, it actually in uh, in the Gemara, it talks about fifteen signs of the coming of Mashiach, and one of those signs is that age won't be respected. oh yeah. That's yeah. very interesting. Yeah, it, because it used to be that age was respected, right? You know, this is kind of a fairly new phenomenon. This idea of of having somebody older laughed at in just about every movie that 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 right. comes out, you know, right. that's become okay and grumpy and, old
1: men, right? Yeah. Right,
2: and 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 that age is not respected within the within the older person uh-huh. because. I mean, we live in Florida. The second largest industry in Florida is plastic surgery.
0: Mm. You know, and so, you know,
2: wow. yeah. People don't Jeez, respect their on. own let me, age. Let me, just,
0: let me just get hit by that for a second here. <laughs> Go for it. The second largest industry in Florida is plastic surgery? Yes, yes.
1: We, uh, we also very pointedly uh, uh, <laughs> make it clear that because we are not only speaking to our own cohort, and in mm. fact, uh, in fact, we want to foster respect for age in those who have the advantages of youth, but not necessarily the perspective of age, we make, it a, we make it a point to say very clearly that you don't have to be of a certain age to appreciate and benefit from this book. Right. You know, some of our best friends are young. <laughs> right.
0: So it doesn't open with an introduction. It doesn't open with an introduction. To anyone under fifty, get right. off my lawn. Right. For the exactly. rest of <laughs> you, yeah. exactly. uh, if, if if people want to pick up your book, um, is it where? Where's we, the best you, place to grab it?
2: It's on Amazon. You can go to our website, awesomeagingthebook.com, and order it directly from us, which whichever
0: is easiest for you. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask about some uh, someone that's you. You had something to add on that. I I can't remember the
2: name of the international. Uh, um, bookseller. Sponsor that we, that, uh, I mean, bookseller that...
1: Uh, I don't remember either. Uh, oh, yeah. Um,
0: Amazon doesn't work everywhere no,
1: anymore. No, 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 And no, if, no. uh, if someone is not, you know, within reach of Amazon, you can just Google the book and you'll probably right. find the bookseller. Right, yeah. Automating awesome
0: yeah. the book. Yeah. It's book Depository, maybe? That's exact. That's exactly Huzzah! That's you, that's right. you got I think it. So it's it. on yeah. the book repository. Yeah, yeah. Which, which I would recommend. I've had yeah. lots of good service from them. I wanted to ask about uh, this. This name's come up a couple of times now. Um, Alan Ginsberg. You said you did, you went there for when your magazine interviewed him, but did you ever meet the man or see the man perform? I, him?
1: I saw him. I saw him uh, perform his poetry and uh, and play his uh, harmonium. Uh, you know, on stage. At the, I remember in the, in the uh, in New York, several times, um, my father, may rest in peace, was uh, was familiar with him, knew him. They, wow. My father was a, a kind of an anarchist revolutionary poet Classy. back in the day. When, and, you, when, know, when so, you say
0: back in the day, like could,
1: which decade was this? Uh, we're talking about. I mean, well, I remember from the '60s. You know, I mean, in the '50s, I was I was a child. But you your know, father was already my in father in the, ah. 50, in the '50s and '60s, basically. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so they knew each other. I mean, my father was certainly not a poet of the stature of Allen Ginsberg, sure. but he was, a, but he was a, an accomplished poet, and you know, if I do say so myself, as his son. But um, and uh, and uh, so they knew each other. I was familiar with him. It was like he was a he was an, a, you know a very present figure in the in the culture in the counterculture, really. Sure. You know, in, in which I came of age.
0: And and what I mean, looking back on that now. How, how do you like with your having gone through all your spiritual training and then and, and your religious revivals of various sorts? How do how do you see him now?
1: I was see Alan Ginsberg specifically.
0: Yeah, specifically,
1: brilliant, inspired, misguided. Um, I think I think one of the features of the Zeitgeist of those times. Um, was a um, was a very almost intentional but certainly not very well um, uh, uh, considered well considered lack of of, uh, of impulse control mm. you know <laughs> one tended to go wherever one's you know, whim you know or passion you know or lust or you know or, or compelling desire led one
0: I, f- yeah. I feel like Alan Watts. I think summarized it as "Follow your bliss." No, it was. Um, it wasn't Alan uh, Watts. It, it was Joseph. Uh, was uh, Joseph Campbell. Yeah. Campbell. Yeah. yeah. Follow your bliss. Follow your bliss. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. The follow your bliss is you know is 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 mild compared to compared to <laughs> indulge every passionate you know uh, impulse. Right. You know from whichever part of you it, it emerges, right, you yeah. know, Folly Bliss is more, you know, somewhat more philosophical and, you know, and, and, and careerist a professional, you know, than that, so, uh, yeah. you know, like that. But, you know, but, you know, but they're in the same, they're in a similar vein. They're in the same sure, vein. Sure. You, know, you know, Alan Ginsberg, God bless his soul, was, uh, was, his soul. was not a, a disciplined character.
0: Uh, <laughs> it does not come across that yeah.
1: way. You know, and therefore, you know, and 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 therefore, there, you know, there is a there is a certain aspect of the cultivation of character, of good character, of 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 uh, of uh, integrity. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, that was not, you know, not he had many strong suits. That was not one of them. Can, can I ask a kind of
0: strange question? Do you, <laughs> do you feel like he had ruach kodesh?
1: No. Okay. I would not say it. As, as I have, I mean, who am I to say? But, right. you know, but but as as I have, as I understand and have witnessed uh, the expression of Ruach HaKodesh in people that I have encountered, you know, the, the L'Avah Rebbe among them and some other great people, you know, um, I would differentiate between Ruach HaKodesh, between that sort of almost, you know, near prophetic, holy, uh, visionary uh, uh, perspective on life. Um, I would distinguish that from intuitive uh, sensi- sensibilities and sensitivity. Intuitive, okay. you know, it's not necessarily holy. Right. Know. Holy, you know, Kodesh means, you know, means very uh, divested from the distractions and the passions of this world. Very, very, uh, very uh, um, uh, uh, detached. On, 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 disentangled. Sure. From this world, whereas intuition, you know, can can and and that high level of sensitivity, whether it's in poetry and linguistically, or whether it's creatively, whether it's musically, whatever it may be, yeah, um, is not necessarily holy. It you know, it's 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 part and parcel of an expression of one's attachments in this world, right. You know, and even though I'm sure a man like Alan Ginsberg, you know, would 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 often speak about detachment from the Buddhist philosophical perspective, uh, behaviorally I'm not sure that he was all that detached. Right,
0: right. He could be. Uh, an a lot different. of
2: my best friends would agree with you.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, from 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 meeting him. Okay. And then, oh wow, yeah, okay. I um I, I feel like I shouldn't ask. That's enough. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I'm 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 fascinated in this though because um I, I obviously agree with a lot of what you're saying and I um I do see like there's obviously like, profound weaknesses, what appear to me the weaknesses that come through from Ginsburg, specifically based on like specifically stemming from um the lack of, of, of uh, what a structured a structured path, a structured a religious faith in which he, his stuff had come through. In the Hasidic language, you know, uh, the, the phrase is orbly kalim, light without vessel. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I don't, It doesn't seem he doesn't seem like the sort of guy who sat around building vessels in a
1: humdrum way. But, and the light was, you know, what, what we would characterize in Hasidic terminology as the, as the, the lights of tobe, toh- the lights of chaos, mm-hmm. you know, the unmitigated, uncontainable Chaotic light, right. which is which is very high and very powerful and very primordial, right? You know, but which is not even a candidate to be contained within vessels. It has to be first shattered. It has to be first first broken down. It has to be has to first be limited before it can express itself in its unlimited, finite fashion within vessels.
0: Okay, fair enough. I, I, have you um, have you? You must be familiar with um, Ginsberg's howl. Yeah. The second part, um, what sphinx of cement and aluminum bashed open their skulls and ate up their brains and imagination? Moloch, solitude, filth. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. Do you remember this bit where he talks about that, like he answers that question and he uses the,
1: mm-hmm.
0: the name of the foreign god Moloch and describes it in this terminology? When you, when you encounter that, is that, do, does that not strike you as a, as a vision that's fundamentally prophetic?
1: And among the criteria for prophecy that uh, the Rambam, Maimonides, uh, brings in, the the laws of prophecy, um, you know, there are many criteria, but one of them is that that his his predictions or his characterization has to be uh, uh, verified as true right? on on a consistent
0: basis. Fine. So I I would distinguish here between... What you might call um, prophecy as a, as a natural phenomenon, and a, a Sanhedrin-verified prophet with yeah. a tick of approval, right, I who gets to then tell right. the Jewish people what to do.
1: Right, right. right.
0: Obviously, Ginsburg wasn't the latter. Mm-hmm. Right, that's trivially true. But in terms of the former,
1: definitely, he was connected with. He was, he was um, um, embodied, an embodied spirit that came from a. From a, a, a profound visionary dimension of life, um, and uh, and in that, as I mentioned before, sort of you know undisciplined or unconstrained or uncontainable, uncontained within vessels, kind of kind of a perspective, you know, there was a great deal of uh, of, uh, of visionary truth that reflected in there. But it was not a visionary truth that can be that can be uh, applied in a, in, a, in a manner that's that's healthy, productive, sustainable.
0: Yeah, sure. Mm. Oh, but like that, I mean, part of, a big part of why I'm religious, I think, was that I went through, I, I learned so much from, from reading Ginsberg. I mean, he, he, but in it, there's a sort of, um, like, let's not forget, Howl is, is, a, is a sort of, um, is a, uh, it's a eulogy for the generation that couldn't pull it off. Right when when the beats were first dropping acid and trying to make a new world, they had no idea what they were doing.
1: I've seen the best minds of my generation, you know, destroyed by madness.
0: Right, but I mean, I'm remembering a specific line there. What is it? Um, uh, Meats for the synagogue cast on the pavement. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I mean, that like you know, you read that and think about that for a thousand years. Yeah. But the idea that there's a that there's something fundamentally Nourishing that, that we are in some sense meats, meats for the synagogue, there's something that we we take that which is nourishing and transform it into the the holy and the and and into acts of service, and that that in some sense the 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 wild um uh bohemian abandonment of Ginsburg generation was the casting of meat on the synagogue of meats for the synagogue on the pavement. like mm-hmm. that's that's a fantastic characterization, I think.
1: I think one of the distinctions that we want to draw uh, between Ginsburg and, let's say, a, you know, a true prophet or a true Ruach HaKodesh, and for that matter, to draw between the, 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 uh, the Torah spiritual approach and that of you know, some of the other cultures that we have mentioned, some of the other philosophical uh, uh, sources that we've mentioned, is the idea of kabbalah's all, of, of taking upon oneself, of accepting upon oneself the yoke of heaven.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, to to to, to become a, 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 a you know a, a a vehicle for that which is higher than ourselves, a willing vehicle who relinquishes his own uh, narrow desires and will for a higher will, to wear to wear the yoke, to 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 put on the yoke, and be guided and directed by that which is higher than ourselves. Somebody who's a slave to his own passions, you know, or or even to his own brilliant. Perception uh, is not necessarily uh, accepting the yoke upon himself, mm-hmm. you know. And I would say also this Capella's old the yoke. Um, it, I, I, many times it it it, um, it, sm- it seems to smack of 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 a kind of ser- slavery, like you know you're 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 being driven by, by by something, you know. You're being you're being brought to the task un- w- against your will. Kind of thing. The acceptance of the yoke is a recognition that you are yoking yourself to. You are, you are, you are um, uh, binding yourself with that which is not only more authoritative, but also more blissful, and more mm. and more all-encompassing, and more true, and more holy, and more and, and more beautiful, and more and, and more unified with all that is,
2: and yeah. and more productive. I mean, when you think about the difference between. Uh, you know, a, 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 a beautiful stallion out in the fields grazing and galloping as he will, and letting the wind blow through his mane. It's very romantic. But when you take that same horse and you hitch him to a wagon that's filled with medical supplies, mm-hmm. you know he uh, he's you know he's 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 accepted the yoke. He may not be. Oh, foot loose and or hoof loose and fancy free as he was before, but, but what he's doing to make the world a better place is 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 huge because he's
0: yoked. Right. There, there has yeah. to be a, a, a taming of that which is wild before exactly. there can be genuine moral yeah. output. Yeah. I mean the, the stallion in the in the outer nature is enjoying that which is as it is, but he's not really being of, of service. Exactly. It's a, yeah.
1: Right. This may be throwing a bit of a wrench in the works, but I think it would be remiss if I didn't also mention that the idea of yoke is also etymologically related to the word yoga, that in Sanskrit, that's really? the, that is the implication mm-hmm. of the word yoga as well, that one is yoking oneself to that which is higher than oneself. But in yoga, in the Sanskrit, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the Vedic tradition, mm. um, what, you, what one is yoking oneself to is more of a natural phenomenon.
0: You really feel that way, in, from the Vedic, in the Vedic tradition. I
1: mean, it, it is also beyond nature, mm-hmm. but once again, it's beyond nature in a in, in a way in which it has a, has the void. It has a relationship with nature. Uh, it still is not the essence of a personal god.
0: Do you feel like um, the the work of of um, the, the Hindu philosopher Shankara? An Advaita Vedanta, this notion of not two that behind all the forms in Hinduism is the one. Yeah. Non-duality. Non-duality. Right. Does that does that does that shift your understanding of Hinduism in 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 this? In this model? Uh, well,
1: it, it it certainly nourishes my understanding of, of Hinduism. I'm you know I'm not I'm not suggesting that the multiple gods you know who have so many arms and so many you know and you know elephantine features and whatever and all these representations. I'm not suggesting that that's a that that's a uh, that 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 is is the is the heart and soul of what of what uh, Vedic wisdom represents. It's certainly sure. sort of way beyond that. You know, as as a matter of fact, there's a Jewish scholar who who uh, who. Uh, uh, kind of debunks a lot of the superficial denigration of some of the Eastern uh, religious principles as and just simply idolatrous and he says those things, those elephants and those, you know, those many armed uh, uh, graphic uh, depictions, it's kind of like just garg- gargoyles on a church. Right. You know, it's not really what, the, you know, it's not, we don't really believe in that. He said this is a Jewish scholar? Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's Alan Brill. It's Alan, Alan, no. Alan uh, Brill. Alan yeah. Brill. Alan Brill. He's Alan actually Brill. speaking, oh my God, I'm speaking tonight. I missed. We missed him. <gasps> he's speaking in Miami tonight. I, I, I had it in the back of my mind to go and see it, but uh, see his talk. But uh, he's speaking about modern orthodoxy, actually. But he, he, I have one of his books. He wrote a book called, called Judaism and Other Religions. And he is specifically a scholar of, 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 uh, of Hindu and Buddhist, uh, as well as other religions. He's a, you know, comparative religion. Very and, and He's know, a religious man himself. He's a modern Orthodox. Uh, I think he might even have smicha from from the University. If wow. I'm not uh, yeah, I think from Yeshiva University.
0: Okay. I mean, on the subject of, of Jewish scholars who have um, strong opinions on on Hinduism, um, did you ever come across uh, young Richard Alpert back in the day?
1: Not personally. Of course, read his book. You know. Be here now. You know. Yeah, yeah, heard him speak. You know. Um, I uh, I did meet Timothy Leary once, uh, but I did not meet uh, Baba Ramdass, <laughs> Richard, Richard Albert.
2: Uh, uh, I, I actually had the distinction of being told by Timothy Leary not to take acid.
1: Oh!
2: <gasps> wow. I was pre- I was pregnant <laughs> with my first son. <laughs> wow.
0: A now and he said,
2: I don't think this is a wise thing for you to do.
0: Really? Timothy Jesus, Leary. Jim,
2: are you kidding?
0: <laughs> yeah. Timothy, yeah. I think every, every man, woman, and child should run out and do acid right now, yep. Leary. But not you. Said not you. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and that was, you'd never done acid before? No,
2: I had. But I guess I was so highly evolved. I, <laughs> I shouldn't, I need it anymore. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Fair enough.
2: (laughs) I I was in my first trimester of pregnancy. That son, incidentally, um, grew to be an interior designer, so I think I gave him a good sense of color
0: and everything. (laughs) Oh, right. Despite not taking out to pregnant with you. Just
2: once. (laughs) (laughs) Just once in that pregnancy.
0: Despite Timothy Leary's advice. Well, Well, no, it was prior to. Okay, but then once Dr. Leary said no. No more.
2: Doctors, wow. doctor's
0: orders. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. Wow, that's incredible. To yeah. yeah. be told by Timothy Leary not to take acid. Yeah, yeah.
1: That's one of the memoirs. You, you met Tim Leary as well? I met him in the, I actually went to a, 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 an after party of a theatrical, a theatrical group that I was working with at, the time at his house in, in the Berkeley Hills. We had a party in his house, and we, so I spent an evening there at a party. I didn't, you know, it was a lot of people there. I didn't, you know, really interact with him, you know, closely, you know, uh, uh, myself. But uh, at that time, I was uh, on tour with and working with a company called the Living Theatre. It was uh, uh, the, the sort of foremost uh, experimental avant-garde theater troupe uh, in, uh, in the uh, in the radical avant-garde artistic world at that time, okay, 68, 69.
0: What were you doing with
1: them? Well, my father was the the producer of their American tour in 1968-69, so I was 20 years old so I joined the company, I was taking care of the sets and building the sets and driving the truck that, you know, much of the equipment was on, and I performed in some of the group company-wide set pieces, I also performed a bit. But I wasn't really an actor with the troupe, I was more technical okay. assistance. yeah.
0: So, so Dr. Leary never told you not to take acid?
1: Never, no, he didn't. <laughs> did but by that time I was, you know, by the end, let's put it this way, by the end of that tour, Mm-hmm. In the in the spring of 1969, I pretty much figured out for myself that I was done with with that. Really? Yeah. I, I you know it was uh, we were talking about Woodstock. You know we yeah. said that you know that we had by the time Woodstock came around we had graduated. My little circle of friends we'd kind of graduated from that scene. You know by that time I was pretty much uh, I pretty much realized that uh, that uh, this was great and, and, and while it lasted and, and, and actually one of the you know my initial experience. My initial psychedelic experience was it was a milestone in my spiritual development, but it was a little bit downhill from there. Yeah, and uh, and by that time I decided that it was time to move on to a, a more sustainable uh, spiritual pursuit. and
0: this was about you were about twenty at this point. I was yeah oh yeah I was tw- I was exactly twenty. When when was your your initial psychedelic experience?
1: Uh, I was probably eighteen, something like that. Um, and uh, yeah, about eighteen. How was no,
0: oh,
1: I'm huh?
2: sorry. I, I was. I was.
1: I was in college. Th-
2: I was thinking about um, the the, um, the the fact that in every group there's there's four or five people who just look at the world as it is, and and they're okay with that, and they they're concrete, and they want to you know move on in a linear fashion. And then there's one person who is deeply feeling and, and thinking and wants to understand why things are the way they are and how they could change them, et cetera, and so forth. And I think that, that those are the people who were drawn to the um, the revolution of the 60s and, and later became, um, many of them, Practitioners of of, uh, of uh, transcendental meditation and other other you know forms of spiritual practice like that, and and from that group came at this huge group of of, Bale Chuba, of mm. people who just we were looking so deeply for something that was real and meaningful and spiritual and that was going to make the world a better place and was going to under, help us to understand. What it was we were looking at, because what we were looking at, it wasn't enough.
0: Yeah, it had to be
2: more. There had to be a deeper explanation of what was
0: going on. For me, this is this is a, another Ginsberg line: um, "Angel-headed hipsters burning for that ancient heavenly connection to the starry diamond." Oh, yeah, absolutely, the
2: absolutely. There you so, go. Yeah. yeah, and so yeah, it began to manifest itself through the you know through the through the the sixties and 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 the psychedelic movement and and then. It wasn't enough for us,
0: right? You know, well, it's, it's interesting. You, this this particular um, progression from um, psychedelics to to meditation East, to meditation to, to Jewish to practice, mm-hmm. yeah. Like that. That's that seems very. I mean, very familiar to me. But yeah. Also, I I noticed a friend of mine. Um, I think he was asked for a summary recently, and he said um, uh, he was he was raised in a religious Jewish house, mm-hmm. and he said. I grew up from. I became an atheist. I did acid. Now I'm here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and that that's like, what 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 is it about that that particular progression that 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 I mean that so many people seem to have followed, as you said.
1: Well, I, the the grow up from part is not something in my experience Fine. whatsoever. But you know, but but I but I've I've often said that given the the. Uh, the constraints and the stultifying atmosphere of, you know, materialism and, and scientism, you know, uh, which was, which were the, the, uh, which was the, the, the character would characterize the nature of my upbringing and my, and my, Early in my late youth or early adulthood, you know, talking about after I graduated high school, right. you know, from 16, 17 and like that. Uh, I've often said that I think I would never have become religious. I would never have 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 gone beyond the limitations of that lifestyle had I not done had a psychedelic experience. The psychedelic experience opened that window up for me. Um, in the sense of exposing me to that chaotic realm that we were talking about before, that chaotic, uncontainable energy. Um, you know, subsequently, you know, after after a few such experiences, thankfully, not so many because right. I didn't burn out. I have friends who did. They burnt out on acid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, know, I, you know, I had, a, you know, probably a weak enough constitution to have a certain self-limiting factor. You know? um, so I, you a little
0: know, goes a long way. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. Exactly. So, you know, so it wasn't too long before I figured out that I needed to find vessels for that light. Right, uh, you know, uh, but without having been exposed to that life, I doubt I would be anywhere near where I am today, and certainly not you know, a spiritual person, certainly not in, not in Judaism, what have you. That's you know that was one of the uh, one of the turning points of my life. So
0: I mean, I, I, I relate to this
1: entirely. For me, does that, that ring true with you?
2: Very uh, very much so, and I I I, um, I mean I I feel that we were part of this minority of people who were just hungry, hungry for connectivity and, and, and enlightenment. And so, okay, yeah, I'll try that. You know, if that, if that pill is going to get me there. So, you know, yeah, that, that I'll, I'll do that. And, and then, and then the, you know, it wasn't enough. And then it was time, you know, to, to go with the next resource, whatever that was. And, and I, I, I mean, I work in a Jewish school. I could lose my job for this, but you know if 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 I were <laughs> if I were expected to become a spiritual person from what I see people learning in school, it just never would have happened. It, it's you know, it's 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 looking for something that was so close to the heart and so close to. That searching part of the soul. Maybe not too long ago, the the uh, the, the the founder of Chabad in in Florida, Rabbi Korf, who's quite a, an old man now, came into school and said, "I would like you all to start the day with a moment of silence." Now, a moment of silence was something that 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 was you know being. Um, proposed by Chabad to put into the secular school system because there was no place for prayer in it, you know, and it wasn't okay to pray in school. Suddenly hearing this real master of of Hasidus come into a school where people are praying and learning, you know, all day long and say, it's not enough. I want every student to start the day with a moment of silence, Mm. was... So exciting and so liberi- liberating to me. I was thinking, ah, oh, look, there is light at the end of this tunnel, also. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: you know, I think I don't think either one of us would uh, advocate or promote or recommend that uh, that anyone uh, 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 follow in our footsteps, you know, and and mm-hmm. and use psychoactive substances as you know as 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 a window to the realm of spirituality. know, uh, what was was, and everything that happens is is, is by divine providence, but. But uh, but uh, you know so that was that was then and that was what we required given our uh, our background and our upbringing and the zeitgeist of, right. the, of the time. Uh, I, I would rather recommend you know as the Rambam would say you know as, as Maimonides always always uh, emphasized that that incremental gradual change. Is much more appropriate than mind-blowing, radical change, whether it's in diet, whether it's in consciousness, whatever it may be. Um, but by the same token, I think one of the challenges—what Frum is pointing out here with, Rabbi, with that, that uh, incident with Rabbi Korf, one of the challenges of Jewish education today is to go beyond the the uh, the everyday, quotidian, you know. Uh, 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 predictable experiences, even of such profoundly beneficial practices as prayer and studying Torah and what mm-hmm. have you, uh, uh, and uh, and 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 finding a window to spirituality, which is not sudden and dangerous and precipitous and uh, and chaotic, you know, as 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 psychoactive chemicals were back in the day, but rather that you know ra- rather containable and sustainable, but nonetheless um, very. Um, very uh, given to the unformed, ex- abstract experience of spirituality that gives every individual the freedom to discover his own internal godliness.
2: Right. Mm-hmm. Hence, five minutes of meditation before a person starts to pray, five minutes of meditation before a person starts to eat, you know, to, to get down to what is the core? You know, what is it really? and and to be able
1: to be receptive yeah, yeah. meditation will mean different things to different people yeah you know yeah. It's, it, it, you know there's no one size fits all here there's no one prescribed pathway right you know from and i you know firma mentioned before that one of the things she does with her students or clients what have you is guided meditation you know she'll walk them through a scenario. Mm-hmm. Uh, it may be an envisioning a rainbow or, or an idyllic scene somewhere. I'm not personally, I'm not a big fan of guided meditation. I think meditation is something that emerges from within the silence of the individual's. Consciousness uh, and any attempt to guide it from the outside is uh, takes away some of the spontaneity. Although I recognize for some people, and for Fruma, and for some of our clients, I recognize the value of that. It's just not my speed. It's not my right. style. Sure. You know, so I emphasize different sorts of practices. You know, and and and, and in that great graduated continuum, there are many variations on those themes. So, uh, but so it's way, way more complex than, you know, than, than can be discussed, you know, in this limited context. Sure. But, but, uh, but um, you know, but everyone needs to be shown and then subsequently, personally, individually discover one's own path.
0: Yeah. Well, it, it's, um, I'm reminded of something that Sam Harris says uh, in, in his book, Waking Up. He writes um, that uh, meditation, what is it? No, he says, he says, um, Psychedelics are like um, taking your brain and strapping it to a rocket ship Mm -hmm. and lighting the fuse, and meditation is like um, slowly raising a sail on a ship. Mm.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Apt. I haven't read Sam Harris, but I'm a little bit aware of some, you know, some some of what he stands for and what he's said. Um, And uh, but I appreciate that. That's you know, that's 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 an apt uh, metaphor.
0: Well, I I feel like when you mentioned earlier something about I wouldn't have known there was a, a light to strive for. Right. Before psychedelics, right. I i it's it, it's a point of like I, I'm serious contemplation for me now if the sorts of the sorts of um, what understanding spiritual depth um, con- conceptual possibilities that seemingly everyone has after doing psychedelics if that's even accessible for people without psychedelics except for perhaps like an, a remarkable
1: few. Uh, but on the other hand I, I would take issue with saying that everyone who has psychedelic, psychedelic experiences does have that sort of spiritual awakening there are many people for whom it's purely a, a recreational joyride.
0: right so i think i think like i'm 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 sort of against the the use of of the medicine as, as um as what's the, what's the gentleman's name two brothers who went off and did shrooms in the amazon this is his name the, doesn't ring a bell for me. Oh, come on, no, you know who these people are. Who, who brought shrooms to America? A
2: couple Castaneda. of brothers. Yeah, no, not two not brothers. Carlos Castaneda. Who is? Who is it?
1: Uh, well, Carlos Castaneda writes about peyote mushrooms. Right.
2: Yeah,
1: right. Peyote cactus is not mushrooms. Peyote cactus, peyote buttons is right. not mushrooms. I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't know this particular history the, of psilocybin. Yeah, fair. <laughs> no,
0: it's just, yeah. it's just like these were these were like big. Um, big markers on the on the, the psychedelic scene back in the mm-hmm. day uh-huh. so I'm, I'm sure i mean i bet you've met them in one of these unless these it must have been the Wright
2: brothers <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah the two pioneer flyers exactly that's it. that's it um yeah so i i i uh like i again like the, the name will the name will come to me, I'm sure, God willing, but he, call, he refers to it as the medicine. Mm-hmm. Right. He says there are people who don't respect the medicine. Uh, for them, it's like a night out on the town. It's the yeah. same wild drinking hooliganism mm-hmm. as, as anything else, mm-hmm. except here are some added features. Like, obviously, if that's the way it's consumed then the spiritual benefits are unlikely. Yeah, it's
1: part of the human condition and it's in it and it's found in every culture. I mean you can see that in the, you know within the within the very narrowly defined Hasidic world as well. Mm-hmm. You know, there are there are people for whom saying a few lechayim's that are for bringing, you know, is a mind opening experience, is a liberating and, and empowering experience. And by the same token at the other end of that table there are there are guys who are just getting drunk and stupid.
0: Right, but we don't we don't take away the Lachayim from the Hasidim because right. there are people who abuse alcohol. Right, right. So, I, I mean, looking forward, should we be taking or keeping psychedelics from the Hasidim because there are
1: people who party on it? Hmm. I don't think it's necessarily because of the people who party on it. I think even for those who are who are genuine spiritual seekers, I think the uh, I think it's a it's a dangerous drug. Um, I think it. I think the. Um, the, the, the downside uh, is uh, is more critical than the upside um, in most cases. Really, from the other side of the
0: Bible,
2: I I I, um, I would have to say that we are both extraordinarily liberal and open-minded in our
0: rejection of drugs. You're both you're both very liberal and open-minded in your rejection. That's correct. Explain. Well,
2: because it was you know, I mean, for 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 us, it was something that um, was extremely uh, helpful when we didn't know any better, Mm -hmm. and um, and I now that I know better. And now that I've spent an, a lot of time working as an addiction counselor, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I would say that particularly, particularly, um, people whose minds are still t- developing—ages yeah. 18 to 25—you know—are are actually, you know, raising havoc with their with their with their psyches by getting involved with sure. drugs. And I think that um, I think that that it um, it it's it's an, it becomes an escape, an escape from developing relationships, an escape from facing obstacles in life. And I'm saying this like you know, as I mean, there's people who still call me a hippie. You know, they say I, <laughs> I say why. I say <laughs> I don't I don't understand that. Like I was I was only a hippie for like five years, and I've been from ever since so why are you calling me a hippie instead of a frummy? you right. know what's the story well because you're obviously a hippie
0: <laughs> Compa- I mean, compared to the that's five years more than a lot of people mm-hmm. have yeah. ever spent yeah. a
1: hippie, I yeah. mean
2: you know just because I had home births and nursed my children until they were four and carried them in carriers before you know anybody did and Used to walk in Crown Heights with long skirts and combat boots. I don't know why that would make me into a hippie. I never understood that.
0: Crown Heights and combat boots. Yeah, yeah. I you
2: mean, in, in, I, I'm, um, I'm, I'm pretty enchanted with, um, with, uh, with the the idea of, of circumventing the drugs, knowing better at
1: this stage of life. a mentioned before in the context of, of uh, emotional intelligence, that calm begets calm. Mm. Yeah. I would say also in, with regard to spiritual awakening that extremes beget extremes. You know, Before we were recording, you, you, you expressed some, some uh, surprise uh, and maybe you were very impressed with the fact that I mentioned that at a certain point in my life I was meditating 16 hours a day. Right uh, one of the reasons why it was it seemed, it, it seemed necessary and was in fact a salubrious uh, passage in my life to be able to, you know to have to do that to go through that was because of the extremes and the and the damage that was done in some of the extreme exposures to uh, to, to, to the chaos of spirituality of un, uncontained uh, uh, spirituality in the psychedelic experience that that uh, that my nervous system. Required that extreme measure, you know, of deep healing, that was a function of 16 hours a day of meditation. At a certain point in my life. Oh, how many tabs were you doing? <laughs> <laughs> not that much. Not that much. But as I said, I had a delicate like, like, constitution. Three, four, six. No, uh, I probably, I would say, probably total from the from the beginning to the end of my, of my, uh, of my uh, the, the, that period of my life when I was having. Psychedelic experiences, you know, through psychoactive chemicals, probably somewhere between ten and fifteen altogether. Oh, altogether. Yeah. So, like all one but oh, two. Per together now.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: No, no, no. Well, you know, the, the number of tabs it depends on the, the different dosages. I mean, you know, be, because of my uh, of my position in life and my associated my association with that theatrical troupe, and you know, and being around. Not only Timothy Leary, but you know, but the but but, but the people who made the acid for him, um, uh, I had you know I had access to some pretty high quality uh, right. <laughs> substances, Gee. so it wasn't necessary to take you know to take multiple doses.
0: La Huntel from the Rebbe's table. Yeah, yeah.
1: I'll leave that one alone, but yeah. Fair
0: enough. Okay, when you say, I noticed you specifically said. Um, getting having psychedelic experiences from psychoactive substances, mm-hmm. implying that you've had psychedelic experiences since in the absence of psychedelic
1: yeah i mean you have to define themselves. what we mean by psychedelic but in the sense of in the sense of you know of of, of uh, uh, you know, not necessarily like out of body experiences i'm not 'm not an astral traveler per se but experiences of of deeper dimensions of reality than merely the waking state. Right. You know, an elevated sense of consciousness, an expanded sense of consciousness. I've had many such experiences. Some of it through through davening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, some of it through learning as so and thinking about it and meditating about it and then, you know, meditating on it and then and, and going beyond the contemplative realm of the rational mind or even the super rational mind to a place of really letting go to a higher precognitive uh, 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 experience of mind before it, before it invests itself in language and, and, and rationality. I've had many such experiences, and mostly, you know, perhaps to some extent, by virtue of my prior experiences in other realms, but mostly as through the, the medium and the vehicle of learning Hasidus and thinking about it.
0: I mean, can I just push back on that for a second here? Sure. Do you feel like like learning Hasidism, and thinking about it would have been enough had you not had the psychedelics or the meditation?
1: It's a very hypothetical question. I don't think I would have come to learning Hasidism had it not been for those experiences. I, you know, I, you know I, I put it very simply. I think without the psychedelic experiences of my youth, I probably would not have come to believe in God, all of the things being equal. I did not believe in God. You know, but the experiences that I had made it clear to me that there is something, there is a godly dimension to this world that I eventually grew to 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 associate with God, of whom I had no concept prior to that. To that. you know, and, and I and I cultivated a belief in God that was, you know, that is that is unquestionable to me now, and still, nonetheless, requires great exploration to have to have, you know, to begin to have some kind of a deeper awareness of. But it's always, I mean, it's always beyond us and elusive to us. You know, but I, but I, you know, I feel like I've been growing over my, mm-hmm. you know, low these many years. You know, it's a, uh, uh, and uh, you know, it's it may be an asymptotic curve where it never really reaches the line upon which it's based, but it gets closer and closer.
0: Right. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because I remember reading the figures somewhere where they were like doing the original studies in, um, I think it was Johns Hopkins. I could be wrong. Of like, um, they were looking to see if psychedelics um, cause mystical experiences. I think I remember this is this this from the um from the Here and Now podcast, from the Here and Now radio show, I guess it was back in the day. I but like um hearing a description um about how um absurd it was that they had a control group in that study. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> you have um,
0: you control? Have, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think I think they were doing it on um, they were they, the study was on uh like, young priests in training, I think. And so, like, the control group was saying, I think maybe I feel something in my arm. And then meanwhile, like, the the, the test group, like, stumbling into the cathedral, yelling, I see God! I see God!
1: <laughs> but,
0: but, like, that, that mystical experience it, it seems to happen, or at some form of mystical experience seems to happen to, what, well, 20, 40, 60% of people use psychedelics? When, when, you, when you think back and remember that, is that, did you feel at the time... Like you were experiencing something real, or did you feel like you were experiencing something misleading or something that was inside? No, the no, no, head? it was
1: very real to me. Very, very real. Very real to me. Clearly very real. I never once felt as though there was some kind of fantasy, you know, delusional, uh, uh, hallucinogenic, you know, I don't even know that I, you know, I mean, hallucinogenic was a term that was, you know, that was often thrown around, mm. you know, in description of psychedelic experiences. To me, it never felt like like hallucinogen mm. at all. Jacob, you me? know,
2: uh, when I'm home, I I don't go to shul on Shabbos very often. I love that's my time at home. I love to I love to sing when I pray. I like to dance when I pray. Can't I can't like do that so well in most synagogues? They would like much. lock me up or something. But when I'm when I'm home and and praying on Shabbos morning, I. I see a molecular change in in the in the air, in the walls, in the flowers, in, and I, and sometimes I think to myself, "Where is this coming from? Is this from some old place, or is this from a place of of, of deep learning and faith? Hmm. That 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 that's what I'm looking for, and because I'm looking for it, that's what I see, and and I, I think that." Um, people can bypass the psychedelic experience and go into the searching experience and get to those high places. I, I really do. Really? I really do. Really, really? I really, really do. How? Yeah. By, by, by looking, by looking, by being open and by looking for the godliness in, in, in putting a coin in a pushka. You know, and 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 yeah, and and thinking of it as you know this this empowerment of of of, of this embodiment rather of of of, of, of kedusha of holiness of giving of oneself for others, and 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 just imagining it just on a on a molecular level as you're mm-hmm. doing it, you know, being being aware. It's really, it's about being aware, being aware of what you're doing being aware of the fact that there's there is this connectivity and that you have a way of calling it down in your life. Yeah. By by you know breathing in deeply and saying, you know, that the breath that's breath that's breathed into me as long as I have that breath I'm connected, you know, and the, the fact that the word nishama and nishima you know if with every breath they're, they're the same words, what you know. The word for the, soul and the word yeah, for breath. Yeah, the, the word for breath and the word for soul. Hmm. It's the same. So to, to 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 look for that godliness in in the things that we do. To look for the godliness and in, in, when when I'm in the kitchen preparing a meal, I could be in the kitchen thinking of you know I better knock this off and get it on the table. Right. Or I could be thinking about the fact that that um, I've been entrusted with this unbelievable opportunity to provide nourishment, to be just like God is. God, you know, God opens his hands and he gives to every living thing exactly what they need. Exactly. And that's what I'm doing. I know exactly what what my husband needs. I know exactly what my children need. And I'm I'm giving them life in a very specific way and being God-like. So I could just think about it as... Oh, may I better order some pizza, you know, but, right. or I could think of
0: it as this deep religious experience. Sure. But I, I mean, surely, like when you say, when you have that, right, you're going into that, into these, into these experiences. You're going, mm-hmm. when you go put mm-hmm. the money in the bush, when mm-hmm. you go, mm-hmm. you have that foundation of, of both the psychedelics and the meditation. Right. Right. And, and, like, if you say to someone, all right, look for it, right? You can go put the money in the pushkin. and they can go put it next to you in the pushka and they can be looking for it right. The whole life, right? They can, take, they can take a couple of minutes to try and be um, attentive to putting right. the, the, the coin in the pushka. And they might, I mean, in all likeliness, I, I, my guess is they would never have a moment that would touch the profundity of, of what a, I imagine I would term a psychedelic appreciation of putting a, a coin in a pushka. And, like, that, that memory allows, like, it, it shifts the, the dimension of what's possible, no?
1: So the I'm magic not word sure. Memory.
2: I'm not sure because, because you know, I, I s- s- some of the people, teachers that I follow, uh, I, 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 I feel are on such a high level and such a profound level that they've got that. Without ever having to have stopped on the way, right? You know, I, I don't, I don't discount yeah,
0: the fact that yeah, some people yeah. can do it, right? Obviously, like you have individual yeah. um, masterful mystics and yeah. so on. Yeah. But, but I think that for the for the rank and file, the idea that that's that that's within reach, it, to me, it doesn't seem it doesn't seem um,
1: realistic. One of the reasons why, one of the many reasons why I gravitated towards the study and then subsequently the practice of Chinese medicine and acupuncture is that that it facilitates the, the awareness that accrues from releasing physical sensation to the spiritual dynamic from whence physical sensation comes. Yeah, so, say that again, please. <laughs> I know. So, I think I caught it, but I'm not it's saying. It's very abstract. It's like you know. It's like what you know. What happens when you put an acupuncture needle in a point? There is you know. It's a very very fine needle. It's not you know. It's not painful. It's not. It doesn't take up much room. It goes. It passes you know. But in the spaces between things in the skin and the flesh and right. the, you know and the body you know. But what happens is somehow there is a there an an opening is made which. Which which releases the physical substance of of the body in that place to the the open emptiness from whence it comes, right. so that it can be it, it communicates with that which is beyond the physical realm, but with it, but, but but from a very physical, very dynamically physical activity. You okay. know you know I, 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 I and I recognize that that may be very you know p- poorly articulated or, or difficult to articulate and difficult to understand you know I, I I'll say it I'll try to say it in another way. I have a young friend on Facebook. Who I've never actually met him in person, mm-hmm. but uh, but we've had some interesting conversations. Are and he, you sure he's real? What <laughs> am I sure? you're <laughs> you real? <laughs> big catfished, very <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm um, He's struggling with uh, with you know many things in his life. Without going into detail, he sure. he actually cited something. It was in a recent Hayom Yom, the book of the Re, you know the daily uh, aphorisms of yeah. the Rebbe, of the of the of the Rebbe and Hayom Yom. One of them, it said something to the effect that truth is not the, the working on truth the avoda the service the 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 self uh, uh, the uh, development the self development of seeking truth is not about saying something that's true or comparing something that is true to something that's not true it's about finding truth in your fingernails truth uh, that a person who has really cultivated truth has truth in his fingernails fingernails
0: also he, fingernails
1: and he said, and he, he quoted this. He actually, I think he took a picture of it from the book. You know, he posted, a, he posted the image online, mm. you know, and he said, and he said, what the hell does that mean? Can somebody explain this to me? And he actually tagged me mm. on the post. So that I would, you know, maybe try to pick up the baton and, and, and explain it to him, you know, and I haven't, and I told him, I have some thoughts about it, but I didn't get to it yet. And I don't know if I can do that in a threaded conversation online. I don't know if I can explain it to sure. but I have a number of thoughts about it. But one of the things that, one of the things that just to be, to to begin to to explain that is if one puts one's awareness on one's fingernails Mm -hmm. and just releases, let's go. If you just let go of any thoughts about, you know, what are nails? How do they relate to bones? How do they relate to flesh? Why are they so insensitive? They may be the, the, the least sensitive part of the body, the lowest in a sense, the less sentient aspect of the, of, of the body, uh, you know, and yet one has a certain awareness of them. You put your awareness there and just like let go and let go and let go. Stop trying to figure them out. Stop trying to um, to, uh, to to. To find anything there, just let go, but let, allow the awareness to be there. There is a certain quality of presence, which can can be understood, and and it might take some time. It might t- take some cultivation. It can be understood to be something that is true. It's r- true. It's real. It's consistent. It's it's nonstop. <laughs> it's um just is what it is, and it is what it is because of a higher energy that can't be discerned within it. It can only be discerned as beyond it, but it's there. And, you know, I, I recognize that this is a, that this is, a, that I haven't, I haven't sufficiently described it. Yeah. You know, uh, people ask me sometimes whether I do acupuncture on myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I say, yeah, sometimes I'll put it, you know, I'll do a little bit of needles. But the, really, the, obviously, there are places in my body that I can't reach mm-hmm. by myself to, to do acupuncture. There are certain points I can't reach. But I think the most profound uh, uh, aspect of, you know, quote, unquote, doing acupuncture on myself is not with needles. It's just by placing my attention on the point.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And allowing my attention to rest there so that the point becomes... <clears throat> it vibrates into a, into, a, into a place of openness and vitality that it would not have had I not placed my attention there. Right. And then focusing that attention in a consistent way, not in a forceful way, but quite the contrary, in a progressively more and more relaxed, open, and released way. Mm. And releasing my own will to put, to put my attention there and rather just allowing attention to be there. Right uh, and depending on what the point is, each point has you know a number of different uh, uh, functions and and effects upon the body. Each set of points, you know, combinations of points, you know, are known in Chinese medicine mm-hmm. to have a certain to have a certain uh, uh, therapeutic effect. You know, I can I can accomplish that therapeutic effect without doing anything other than placing my attention there. Right.
0: right. So so in right? a
1: similar sense that. Exercise that meditation with the fingernails is something like that.
0: In in a similar sense, it's
1: similar to what? Similar to that idea of treating myself just with thought, just with attention.
0: Right. Okay. I think I'm. I think I'm getting somewhere here. I, I feel like that's that's a really big one in itself. The idea of truth as being beyond fact checking right or fact checking correct or fact checking incorrect. Mm-hmm. Um, that the, the instinct for truth is in some sense deeper than that. Um, and that that what can be uncovered as true. Maybe capital T true is is beyond that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I guess that's a whole thing in itself. I, I just wanted to um, give you a chance to elaborate on on something when we were just talking about the um, the profundity of, of say putting a coin in a in a in a box for charity, um, and um, I, I, I mentioned at the end uh, that it's it's something. The profundity of the experience is is. The potential profundity for the experience of is someone is—it can be higher for someone who has the memory drawn. And you said that's the magic word, memory.
1: Mm. My mentor and friend, Mayor Aboussira, Abouhadssira, from the illustrious Abouhadssira family of the Moroccan uh, mystics. But he was a very close friend. He was actually the person who introduced me to. It. To Torah and mitzvahs, as well as my teacher in, in natural medicine. Um, he used to say he had, a, he had a, a, an aphorism that he said that he ascribed to the Baal Shem actually. He used to say that the Baal Shem said this. I've never seen anywhere any reference to the Baal Shem saying this, so mm-hmm. I don't know whether he heard it somewhere or he made it up or he projected it onto him or whatever. He used so to it say. It was built in a dream, perhaps. Perhaps, yeah. No, he was definitely a dreamer, a mm-hmm. very profound dreamer, but he, but uh, may he rest in peace. He, uh, he said, he used to say, memory is redemption. Memory in the sense of not, actually not remembering factoids, facts and factoids and events that happen, but rather enabling a, an awareness to emerge from beyond what is ordinarily characterized as conscious awareness. Conscious awareness is is, is that which emerges into the mind from beyond the mind. Where do ideas come from? Where do thoughts come from? They come from something which is free-cut, which right. is prior to thought. It's not embodied in language. It's not conceptual. This is part of what's represented in the Tree of Life by having Keter float above. Precisely. Bachman Bina. Right. P- precisely. Right. So, from that fr- from that realm. So, memory in the sense of being able to connect with and be nourished, cognitively, emotionally, even physically, to be nourished from that transcendent place which is prior to conscious awareness, prior to cognition, prior to knowing, prior to ideas, prior to thought, uh, that's kind of what I understand memory in its most profound sense to be. You are, you are connecting with and, and f- being receptive to the flow from that primordial identity which is undefinable and abstract.
0: So memory in this sense is a, is a force like imagination, like it's something that reaches beyond the present? Is, uh, the, it, hmm?
2: is it like Jung, Jung's collective unconsciousness?
1: It's certainly, collective unconsciousness is certainly in the Jungian sense is certainly, is certainly uh, 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 Influenced by memory is a function of that. It's not quite the same thing, I would say, uh, because it's collective. You know, uh, but you know, but. Huh.
2: Uh, so how that is is the epigenetics of our avos and imahos. Well, now you're onto something.
1: Now you're I onto like something. that, yeah. I do yeah. too. <laughs> you know, the archetypal, the archetypal, uh, um, arch, the archetypal figures, personalities in, in our history. Mm-hmm. You know. Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, Moshe, um, you know, Aaron, the the, um, the 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 ancestry, which has granted us the qualities which define us as who we are, mm. um, are also embedded in memory in that epigenetic mm-hmm. sense you know mm-hmm. they also but, you know there is you know in fact the, the Tanya the of us says very specifically that within within the depths of every individual soul there is an aspect of, of Moshe Rabbeinu of Moses mm-hmm. you know, that we have a, there is a spark somewhere within us which it's, is which is which is the Moses within us it
0: was an interesting one cuz the Havdalah you know there's a there's a um there's there's this notion in Buddhism that everyone has buddha nature mm-hmm. yeah. And, and it seems like um, there's a. Judaism is more nuanced than that. It's like not only do you have like the, the form of the tzaddik in this great ephemeral sort of abstract sense within you, but you also have the ability to manifest these really, really specific personalities. Um,
1: in very specific directions. So Abraham represents loving kindness, and and Yitzhak represents the you know the restraint and the withdrawal from this world, and Yaakov represents balance and beauty, you know, and harmony and like that, and you know, and Moshe really represents the you know the that aspect of the of the of of the deepest personality which connects, which brings down Chachma, which brings down wisdom, and brings down daso conscious awareness in, into the person's experience integrates it with 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 within his within his personality so that from the precognitive realm through the aspects of intellect which are and, and like that through the emotional attributes of loving kindness and and severity or constraint or restraint or self-discipline or whatever and 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 the and the the the, the confidence of netzach and the humility of old and all of those different features factors you know all of those become integrated through the person of Moses, through the pers- person of Moshe. Moshe brings das connectivity to a person, the 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 the, the spark of the tzaddik of, of, of all generations of Moshe Rabbeinu is what integrates all of that. That's right. the that's the holy w h o l l y, which is a cognate of h o l y, that we were referring to. You know, when when we when we were first conceiving how we wanted to write this book. You know, it evolved. It evolved into something else, but that's the spark of the idea that's there. Right. You know, in, in integral wholeness of that which is unconfined by the the, the, uh, the attachments and the distractions of the material world, or the emotional world, or even the, even the rational realm. Comes from a higher spark, and and when I speak of memory, when I think about memory in that sense that memory is redec- redemption, it's tracing all experience back to back and further back and further back to its transcendent origins, to the Avraham of Vinu who resides within our mm. love, and to the Yitz to the to the Yitzchak. You know who resides within our sense of discipline and withdrawal, right? The ability, the ability to say no when no is, is is appropriate, and 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 actually this harks back to what you were saying before about the idea, what you were asking before about the idea of of the conscious awareness of something beyond the putting the coin in the in the in the pushka. Mm-hmm. Of giving the coin to charity, of giving a dollar to the guy who comes by, you know, and says, Sadaka, please, you know, so you give him Sadaka like that, to be aware of the fact that you are embodying the loving kindness of Abraham. Mm-hmm. Which is, of course, he embodies the, Abraham himself embodies the divine loving kindness. You know, so in that tradition, in that chain of transmission, Hmm. of what love is of what kindness is and what generosity is you are embodying that and to be to have the memory of all of that perhaps not in a in a in, a, in an articulate language driven way hmm. but in a visceral way to have a sense of the to have a sense of, all of that. The, to open up to that memory
0: right.
1: in the course of you know putting that giving co- putting that coin in the beggar's hand yeah.
2: Right. And that's the psychedelic mystical experience without drugs.
0: Right. Well, it's interesting you, you, you say that because um, I, a friend of mine, Tessa Eskin, she wrote on um, Facebook uh, Can we all agree that Judaism is one family's 4,000 year acid trip? <laughs>
2: yeah. You know, I am, I, I, um,
1: that's pretty funny. Yeah, it's it's cute. I mean, yeah, it's it, there's there's a, there's a germ of truth in that. Um, wow. uh, it's maybe a little self indulgent. But... A little bit, <laughs> tiny bit. You <but>, know, <laughs> 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 I think that germ has
0: a lot okay. to say. Yeah. Well, yeah. but part of it is like the the this this primacy of memory in in um the in in the Jew, in Jewish practice, right? It's we don't. We, you're not commanded to memorize facts about Pesach. You're commanded in every generation. A man is commanded to, ex- to consider it as if he himself had experienced experience liberation. liberation, right? To be taken out of Egypt, and and this that's constantly commanded that you shall remember mm-hmm. things that you weren't physically there for, right? Mm-hmm. But you remember them, mm-hmm. and we're all remembering them together. Mm-hmm. That's our that's our collective trip in more than one sense of the word. And there's a
2: there's a fabulous. Um, Chase Taub wrote a book mm-hmm. called The God of Our Understanding, which um, he really wrote addressing addiction. And in the in the uh, first chapter of the book, he talks about a, um, a drunk who's walking in the, uh, along in the Bowery, and this voice comes down and says, hey, Joey, would you like sobriety? Which you know, could mean just about anything, hmm. connectivity, enlightenment, whatever. And he said, yeah, man, I'd give anything for sobriety. So so this voice says, well, how, what, how much do you have in your pocket? He said, well, I have I have $5 in my pocket. He said, so would you give you $5 for sobriety? Yeah, anytime, absolutely. But um, if I give you the $5 for sobriety, so how am I going to put gas in my car? But you didn't get home. Oh, the voice says, you have a car. Would you give your car for sobriety? Well, yeah, you know, I guess I guess I could give up my car for, you know, connectivity for really feeling, yeah, I could do that. But then how am I going to get home? And he says, oh, home, you have a house? Yeah, I have a house. So would you give up your house for sobriety? He says, well, uh, um... Yeah, I guess I would, but but if I do that, where's my family going to live? Oh, you have a family. Would you give up your family for sobriety? He said, this is, you know, you're asking me hard questions. This is really a hard question, but if that's what it takes to feel really connected, well, I guess, yeah, yeah, I would do that. So the voice says, I'll tell you what. I'll give you back your family, but you have to remember that I want to dwell there. I want to be a part of your family. I'll give you back your car, your home, but you have to remember that your home has to be filled with the consciousness of me. And I'll give you back your car, but you have to remember that you're going to use the car to go and do, you know, mitzvahs and and be kind and help other people to get to the places they need to go. And I'll give you back the money that was in your pocket, but you have to remember that a certain amount of it you're going to only use for... Charity and a certain amount of it you're going to use to buy beautiful things for Shabbos, etc., and so forth. And I think that you know that's that's that consciousness of putting the mystical, putting the supernatural into everything that's natural and normal—from what's in our pocket to where we live, you know, to how we spend our days—is is. is Is the experience that we're looking for? Is the meditation, meditation and action experience? It's the, it's 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 what people were looking for in their psychedelic experiences—the ability to bring light into the darkness, bring light into every single practical thing we
0: do in the course of the day. Hmm. Yeah, I hear that. It's, um, I, I have, I, I, I could. I could talk to the two of you for hours and hours, hours yep. easily. This could be the
2: the two hundred hour podcast. <laughs>
0: yeah, set a world record. So, what time is your plane tomorrow? Oh my god!
2: <laughs> <laughs> I have coffee. We can.
0: <laughs> All right. Yeah, um, but I do. I do want to ask. Just to um, you know, by way of. It slowly, slowly directing us towards an exit here. But having, having been through all that you have been through, and seeing now a world that's in the midst of such tumultuous change, mm-hmm. and and I guess being um, a, a participant in in, in uh, uh, the Rebbe's own holy um, vision mm-hmm. and and carriers of that flame, do you see any? Like in the way forward, do you see anything specific ahead? Do you see any any specific uh, ways forward? Is there anything like in your in your vision of the coming days that's, um, what would you say, that's like practical steps? Hmm.
1: I am encouraged to see a significant percentage of people on the planet, especially young people but not only young people um, who are who are asking the kind of questions you ask you know who are who are uh, seeking to 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 open up to to, to open their eyes to to, uh, to a deeper, more profound, more effective, more productive perspective on, on life, you know, which is connected to uh, to, to the spiritual dimension, the, the the even the beyond the spiritual dimension to the godly dimension, connected via memory. I see a lot of people who are asking those kind of questions and seeking that kind of connectivity, and I'm and I'm and I'm optimistic having said that there's plenty of stuff that you can see around the world which you know which is you don't, you have only to open up your your phone you know yeah. and look at your newsfeed or whatever the case may be to see all kinds of stuff going down which is which which which, which if we allow it to will 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 nourish a great deal of nourishes the wrong word which will which will spark a great deal of pessimism a great deal of of bitterness or even fear you know, there's a lot of bad stuff going down. Yeah. Um, you know, from and I were talking recently about the about the the eighty twenty rule. You know, the eighty percent of the eighty percent of the of the of the of the the, the tax money comes from twenty percent of the people. It's probably a bigger number than that now. Yeah. Whatever it is, you know, eighty uh, percent of the of the of the population, you know, will be will be stultified in a very stagnant and you know and and uh, Entropic decline, you know, 20% might be growing, whatever the case may be. I don't think it's a numbers game and I don't think it's necessarily about the number, the number of positive things that are going on. I think a little bit of light dispels a great deal of darkness. So I see that happening when I choose to see it, when I am sufficiently engaged in a positive direction myself, which isn't always. Uh, so that, so that I'm open to that. So that my, uh, you know, you know, you know how it works. That if you know, if you think of an orange sports car, you know, that, and you're thinking about it constantly, you will see orange sports cars. Pretty sports cars, pretty much everywhere you go. Mm. you know uh because you know it's what it's what they call the reticular associative, associative system, system you know yeah. in the brain and the nervous system that you know you tend to see the things that you're expecting to see that your focus is on you know like that so to the extent that i'm able to focus on the positive and, and cultivate that kind of awareness in myself so i see it in others you know so i'm encouraged by that and i and 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 and, and i spend a, a considerable amount of energy trying to other, encourage other people to encourage themselves with that sort of behavior and that sort of attitude, you know, like that. So I see good things happening. Is there, you know, is, is, there's ample reasons to doubt that. Mm-hmm. But I do my best to choose not to entertain those doubts and to rather uh, seek out the, 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 the certainty and the inevitability of redemption.
0: The certainty and inevitability of redemption.
2: It's gorgeous. Of imminent redemption.
0: Amen. Amen. You want to take a shot of the question from? Him?
2: I think he did such a good job <laughs> of it. I can't possibly think of how to say it better, except to add the word imminent. Really, and 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 to um, and to spend a certain amount of time every day. Thinking about that and believing that, so that you know, so that so that it becomes a reality that 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 you project into the world around you,
1: and allowing ourselves to experience it in a visceral way, yeah, yeah, not just theoretical, no, yeah, yeah, visceral. Feel it in the flesh. Feel it in the bones. Feel it in the fingernails.
2: And you know, on a very practical level, you know, I I, um, I um, you know there, there's. I'm I'm doing a lot of 12 step talking tonight. I don't know exactly where it's coming from. Maybe it's coming but 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 the the serenity prayer, you know, is 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 a brilliant a brilliant prayer, but I like to change it just a little bit when I use it. I say, "God, grant me the the serenity to accept the people I cannot change, the courage to change the people that I can." and the wisdom to know that that's just me. The only person I can change is myself, and that that's what I need to focus on, and that's the practical, you know, s- s- steps to bring in the redemption, is to be in the best me I can be.
0: Beautiful. I, I can't imagine a better uh, no handed on. Thank you. Simchen, it's been a pleasure.
2: Yeah. You're great. Likewise. (laughs) Thank Thank you so much. Really? You're great.
0: It's been a real pleasure having you on the show. God bless you.